Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. Happy St. Patrick's Day and Selected Sunday. Hopefully you're having fun, but not too much fun out there. And now hopefully you're ready for one of the coolest days on the sporting calendar. I'm your host, Joe Perello of SweetSports.com, and thank you for joining us for this special two-hour Selection Sunday edition of Taking You to School. With me, as always, is Phil Dayton of Round Ball Daily. Kells also contributes for Sheridan Hoops and Slam Magazine. Kells, uh, I take it you haven't celebrated St. Patty's Day too hard today, have you? Uh, not yet, Joe. Once uh, the selections are made, then it's time. But <laughs> Very cool. I-, I feel the same way. Uh, and joining us again after a two-week hiatus, my colleague at Sweet Sports, he also contributes to several blogs on the ESPN True Hoop Network, including Hoop Speak and Clipper Blog, Mr. Jeremy Conlon. Uh, good to have you back, Jeremy. Uh, I trust that Jameson is staying in the bottle until the brackets come out, right? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. Anyways, if you'd like to speak with uh, myself or either of my two not-quite-intoxicated colleagues, the number to call in here is 323 2906. Throughout this show, we are going to go across the country, break down the bracket from every possible. We're going to talk who's in, who's out, who's on the bubble, really sweating it out until tonight, and what teams can make those miracle runs. Uh, we've got some games on right now. UNC and Miami for the ACC championship. Looks like the Hurricanes might wrap that up. Ole Miss has just pulled ahead of Florida in the SEC title game, and Virginia Commonwealth and St. Louis are going down to the wire in the Atlantic 10 final. Uh, then Ohio State and Wisconsin come on in about a half an hour to play for the Big Ten Tournament Championship. You know, those games all matter. They're all championship games. But really, not for getting into the tournament at this point, pretty much all those teams were firmly in before championship week. And Ole Miss seems to have played its way into the field with that win over Missouri and Vanderbilt. So what I'm saying here is the field of 68 is pretty much set, at least probably in the committee's mind. Uh, now it's just a matter of seeding people. Guys, I want to go league to league and really get a feel for what you think uh, about who's on the bubble and who's falling off. Uh, let's start in the Atlantic 10, that great championship game going on right now, Kells. Uh, I know you're a huge fan of St. Louis and Virginia Commonwealth who are playing right now. Also, Butler's had a good year. They always have a good year and always seem to surprise people. Uh, that conference is really impressed. Which teams do you see getting in from the Atlantic 10? Well, you're right, Joe. I'm a big fan of St. Louis. I think they've got a chance to go to the Elite Eight, or possibly maybe if they get uh, the right matchup, they could be a Final Four team. But I think, obviously, they're a lock right now. I think you have to look at uh, VCU, who they're uh, playing in the championship game, obviously, as a lock. Uh, Butler, I think, is in, and I think uh, it's down to Temple and LaSalle. I'm not sure they're going to get all five of them in. I think uh, LaSalle probably edges Temple in, in my bracket if I had to do it right now. Um, so I think those are the four out of the Atlantic 10 at this point. Yeah, I, I think obviously St. Louis, Butler, and VCU are all pretty much locks. I've got, I'm looking at I've got Temple in. I think UMass made things interesting by beating Temple in the tournament, but, and that may have put the Minutemen on the bracket, but I, I don't think they've done enough to get in. LaSalle's obviously had a great year as well. Uh, I'm looking at Butler as probably like a 
seven seed, somewhere in that in that ballpark. Does that sound of a fight to you with VCU and St. Louis maybe a little ahead as a six or a five, depending on who wins? Yeah, you know, I think uh, VCU probably should be a little bit ahead of Butler. I think that's probably right. I'd probably have VCU maybe on the sixth line. I know Butler, mm-hmm. some, one thing that might uh, help them out, obviously, is they have more quality wins than VCU does. But obviously I think VCU's proven in the tournament here and throughout the regular season, especially when they hammered Butler uh, in the regular mm-hmm. season, uh, that they've uh, probably earned a little bit higher of a seed. And I think you're right. I think with Temple, uh, as far as getting in, I think the loss to UMass might have hurt them, but – they did win a lot of games down the stretch, and they might have given them a, themselves a chance to be uh, put in this field here as well. All right. Jeremy says there are no big-time NBA prospects in the Atlantic 10. Kells, I'm going to stay with you here. Uh, we know about Rodney Clark, uh, Javante Reddick. Who are some guys in the okay. A-10 that are fun to watch that you think we should keep an eye on uh, throughout the big dance? Well, I love Rodney Clark's game. Uh, I gotta love the guy who can shoot threes. He plays defense. Uh, he's he's really small, obviously, but he's got a lot of heart. And you gotta love the way he plays. Uh, Colmaine Mitchell from St. Louis is kind of the same way. Uh, not as good a shooter as Rodney is, but he's a really great defender. Really, all those guys on St. Louis are uh, fun to watch. I think uh, absolutely. And then uh, you look at Butler. Obviously, Roosevelt Jones is another guy. Uh, he's only about six four, uh, but he plays like a power forward. He plays like a Big man inside. Uh, he doesn't have a great jump shot, but he's got a good runner. And uh, he could be a guy who late in the game Butler could rely on to uh, get them a big basket if they need one. So those are some of the guys I love out of the Atlantic 10. And then UMass is Chaz Williams also is another great guy to watch. A lot of fun. Uh, the little guy likes to score. Uh, can also defend. So those are some of the guys I love from that conference. Yeah, you know, you look at Chaz Williams, a guy I like that's, I guess, a little similar to him, a score-first point guard kind of thing, is that Samaj Christian, the guy from Xavier, obviously doesn't look like they're going to be in the tournament either. But uh, he's an exciting freshman point guard. He probably won't go pro, so we'll get to see him next year. Uh, He's got nice handles, scores touch around the rim, pretty quick hands on defense. Uh, He plays with a ton of energy, but, you know, he needs to do those things a lot of freshman point guards need to do. He needs to cut down on turnovers, improve his range on his jump shot. And uh, the way it's looking, it'll look like Xavier and Butler will be in the new Big East next year. So we'll get to hear a lot more about those guys. Ugh. But uh, that's uh, something we will get to uh, a little bit from then. Guys, I want to I go to both of you. And, Jeremy, uh, I know you've kind of zoned us out because we're not talking NBA prospects right now. But uh, do you see a team from the Atlantic 10 that you think could make a little bit of a surprise run? I mean, Butler and Virginia Commonwealth almost are in the dictionary next to surprise NCAA tournament run. Um, I actually think LaSalle isn't terrible. Like, I, they're, um, Lenardi, in the, uh, infinite wisdom that he has, has them as one of the play-in 12s, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty fair spot for them. Um, but, uh, like, they had a, a bunch of weird games early in the season, um, but of late they've played pretty well, um, I mean, obviously they they lost in the tournament, um, yeah. but they had the, uh, the they played Miami pretty close for a while. Um, they had the win over Butler. They had the win over VCU. Beat Villanova early in the season. Um, so, I, I mean, the the 12 seed is you know perennially the uh, the sort of goofy seed that you know could win yeah. a round or two. Um, and Notre Dame. Uh, who, like so, I'm looking at Lenardi's projected bracket right now, 
and he has LaSalle as a play in 12 against Ole Miss, and then the five seed there with Notre Dame. So if he's yeah. 100% right, which he has been in the past, and you're looking at that matchup, that's a game that they could win. Um, so you talking about Notre Dame? St. Louis is round. obviously the what's that? You talking about playing Notre Dame in the second round or the uh, first round? Yeah, in the second okay. round. But I mean, if if you're looking for the best team in the conference, obviously St. Louis is going to be the one that can make the biggest run. But mm-hmm. I think LaSalle is a team that's good enough that could make that that five twelve upset. And Joe, okay. another thing about LaSalle, they've, they've got four guys who average in double figures in scoring, so they can really score the basketball, and that could be something in the first round that could uh, allow them to get an upset. Okay, very cool. So you guys are pretty high on LaSalle. I don't even think they're going to make the tournament, but uh, <laughs> obviously some great wins, and that, that Villanova win is all of a sudden looking just a ton better for them. Uh, once again, I'd like to remind you all at home, if you would like to call in and talk to, one of my, to myself or one of my esteemed colleagues, the number here is 323-927-2906. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, on this most eventful selection Sunday, once again, that's 323-927-2906. Uh, I guess we'll leave the Atlantic 10 behind now and move on to what we consider to be a power conference, though I think the Atlantic 10 may get as many teams in the field. Uh, Kel's looking at the ACC, the championship game, on right now about to end. What do you make of the ACC? Who's in and who's out there? Well, Joe, obviously you got to look at Miami, Duke, North Carolina are in. Uh, NC State probably a lock as well right now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else is getting in. I know Virginia is 11-7 in the league, but they really uh, fell apart at the end of the season. Uh, they do have a win over Duke, and I know Maryland also, 8-10 and 10 in conference during the regular season, had a good run in the conference tournament. I know you're big on both of those teams, uh-huh. but I, I just don't see either of them getting in. You know, you're right. Right now I've got Duke, Miami, uh, UNC, and NC State all as locks. And I I just – I think Virginia has to get in. And it kills me to leave Maryland out too because, you know, when Maryland plays well, they've got Alex Lynn. And, you know, the Terps can beat just about anybody when the seven-footer is playing his game and asserting himself offensively. Uh, Virginia, like you said, they're a little bit perplexing. But uh, they did go four games over 500 in the ACC. They've got an offensive machine in Joe Harris. Uh, I think they could be a tough out if they get in is that, you know, that 12 seed on that line of the final uh, major conference at larges. Uh, they pretty much undid that great win over Duke by falling on their faces at Florida State and Boston College. But to me, I think you take a team like Virginia that's shown it can beat the big dogs over a team like, uh, like you look at uh, St. Mary's, for instance, who has a lot of wins, but every time they've had a chance to pick up that marquee win, they've pretty much gotten stomped on. So, uh, I don't I don't know. I like Virginia because they've shown they can beat good teams. Yes, they've shown they can also lose to bad teams. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm interested to get your take on it. I think at this point Maryland's out. That game was kind of a knockout game between the two of them, Virginia and Maryland. Do you think Virginia has a shot? Am I, am I just, you know, am I on a pipe dream here? Well, I think they have a shot, but I think that first-round game against NC State really uh, did not help them at all, yeah. losing by 20. Uh, and they really just looked terrible in that game. They lost three or four since they beat Duke. They really just kind of sputtered down the stretch and kind of uh, didn't coast into the finish line, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, it's tough because the committee does look at the last ten games and how a team's playing, and I just think you look at Virginia's last ten games, there's a lot of L's in that column right now. And yeah. uh, I know they are a good team. They have some quality wins. I know you said uh, St. Mary's would be a team 
uh, some, someone like that who hasn't uh, beaten a lot of good teams. But I think there's one team out there that's uh, in the Sun Belt, that's Middle, middle Tennessee State. And I think mm-hmm. they've got a better resume than Virginia when you look at some of the quality wins that they have. They beat Old Miss. Um, they didn't mm-hmm. beat a team like Duke, but winning as many games in their conference as they do. I always like to uh, reward the teams that have a lot of wins uh, over mediocrity, uh, in Virginia's case, which is what they have. Yeah, yeah. I-, I can't argue you know, with you there, and we'll get to Middle Tennessee State. They're one of the really interesting bubble teams that I, I want to talk about a little later in the show. Uh, Jeremy, we'll go over to you. We'll bring in your vast NBA knowledge. Uh, I want to talk about some of the players you're keeping an eye on the ACC that will be playing in the tournament, and uh, if you could, don't give me a plum leaf. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, everybody knows Alex Len. Everybody knows Plumlee. Um, everybody knows James McAdoo. All these guys are going to be first-round picks, probably even lottery picks McAdoo. Uh, Green, even though he's not in the tournament. I'll preface yeah. that, obviously. Like, Virginia Tech is easily the worst team in the ACC. Um, <laughs> but just his season has been really impressive. Um, mm-hmm. just because of how bad that team is. And by all means, there's no way that he should be scoring as efficiently as, efficiently as he has. Um, mm-hmm. He's a really good shooter. He's a really good um, creating his own shot off the dribble guy. Uh, he can catch and shoot. Um, and he doesn't project as a as a really top pick just because he's undersized and he'll probably have to play shooting guard because he's not a very good distributor. Um, but just his scoring punch... Um, will always have value, even if he's sort of limited in other aspects of the game. He's not very good defensively, obviously. Um, But he's a guy from the ACC that I love. He'll probably be a second-round pick. Um, And, you know, you you said not to give you a Plumlee, but, I I mean, I have to talk about (laughs) him because he's Plumlee. Um, Yeah. He he projects as a pretty good player. My only concern about him is that he's already 23. Um, Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder how much he's going to develop – you know, once he's in the league, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how well he plays in the tournament next to Ryan Clark, just because they haven't played too much together this season. Um, and if he can, um, you know, step up his defensive game uh, in the tournament, that'll be a that'll probably go a long way to to telling you how well he's going to do in the league on the short term basis, at least. Okay, and, and you mentioned uh, playing with alongside Ryan Kelly, who just came back from injury. There hasn't been any buzz about him. He's a senior that's kind of given them a punch. Is he a legit NBA prospect, or is he just kind of one of these guys that's going to end up in Europe or something like that? Um, he projects as a fringe second-round guy right now, you know, mid-second round to not in the draft at all. Uh, his shooting is definitely a big leg up, uh, but he's not a good rebounder. He's really slow laterally. Um, I mean, like, if you look at the uh, – the sort of the stretch big men in the league right now, it seems that most of them have at least one other NBA-level skill. Like, they're either a good rebounder, they have length and can defend, all that stuff. But for Kelly, it's really just he can shoot, and that's it. Um, so in that sense, he, you know, you might see him as the 12th man on a crappy team for a couple <laughs> of years, but most likely I don't think he's going to make the league. Okay. And, you know, we kind of mentioned... Uh, we, we briefly mentioned Len and, and McAdoo. What do you like about McAdoo's game? I mean, he's obviously going to be a pretty high pick. Um, he's a bit undersized, which is a problem, but he has a lot of athleticism. He's long. Um, 
I mean, like it, it, he's he's a, a player that you know has a physical ability, um, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure that he's translating that into um, you know tangible basketball things. He's a pretty good rebounder, which is probably his best skill, um, mm-hmm. but he's only shooting 44 percent from the floor. He's not a good free throw shooter. Um, he's not very good defensively. Like he has length and can block shots, but he doesn't rotate that well. Um, so I think, I mean, just based on his athleticism and his quote skill level, he'll probably yeah. be a first round pick. Um, but much beyond that, I, I feel like he's going to be a bust. <laughs> all right, all right. Colin McAdoo, uh, another McAdoo. Uh, anyways, we got some games that just went final. The Miami Hurricanes. The Miracle Miami Hurricanes just wrapped up the ACC Tournament Championship 87-77, to defeating the North Carolina Tar Heels. I don't know if you guys saw it or not. Roy Williams has the greatest Blazers in basketball, but even his awesome Blazer today could not save the Tar Heels from losing to Miami. That's certainly going to be interesting proceeding where the Hurricanes end up. Uh, and Ole Miss and Florida just went final. The Rebels upset the Gators 66-63 to out there in Nashville. So if anybody had Ole Miss on the bubble, which I did, even though I thought they were on the right side of the bubble, Ole Miss, forget that bubble talk. Ole Miss is in. And, Kels, I want to go to you real quick. We're going to get to the SEC a little bit later. But Ole Miss has been a little bit of a head-scratching team this year. What do you like about Ole Miss? And maybe what is there not to like about them? Why have they been so up and down? Well, uh, that's an interesting question, Joe. I mean, they're 25-8 and eight this year. Uh, Marshall Henderson, I think, is what you have to like about them. He brings so much passion uh, to the floor. He's a great three-point shooter, uh, excellent scorer, can really help them out. Uh, I think he's really the only guy, though, that you look at that you're really afraid mm-hmm. of on that roster. Um, so I think Ole Miss, obviously, inconsistent this year uh, with some of the losses. Uh, I mean, losing to Mississippi State, losing to South Carolina. Uh, those are two terrible losses that a bubble team shouldn't have. And that was really the reason that they were on the bubble, despite being 25-8. and eight. But I think if you want to look at them for uh, making a run in the tournament, I think certainly you have to look at Marshall Henderson. I think he's what makes them go. Um, and also Murphy Holloway is a uh, decent second scorer, averages 14 points a game. Um, I don't think they're going to make a big run in the tournament, but it's uh, nice to see them in. Andy Kennedy, a good coach, nice to see him uh, make the run and get that SEC championship. Okay, very cool, very cool. Good for the Rebels. Congrats to them. Uh a little bit shocking. We'll get to Florida a little later. They've kind of looked a little inconsistent as well with as much talent as they have on their roster. Uh, let's go back to the ACC real quick before we move on. And I'm curious from both of you, outside of the obvious, you know, the Dukes and the Miamis, who do you think in that conference can make a surprise run? And, Kells, we'll, we'll stick with you on this one. Go first. Uh, you know, I think NC State has the talent to do it, Joe. I mean, they did it last year. Um, when you look at who they got on their roster with C.J. Leslie, um, Lorenzo Brown, who's one of the best point guards, was one of the best point guards coming into this season um, to look at as far as uh, NBA and even uh, throughout the country. So they've got the talent to make a run. I think they've got that tournament pedigree, and uh, they would be the team that I would really look at. And then, obviously, North Carolina as well. Uh, they've come on strong at the end of the year here. Um, and I think, you know, if you're looking at who can make a run to the Final Four, I think uh, it's only Miami and Duke right now. I think those are the only two teams. And uh, Miami is going to be interesting. I think they deserve the number one seed. I know we'll get to that later in the show as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think they do deserve it having won the ACC regular season and the tournament. Uh, so yep. I think those two teams are the two to watch for a big run. Uh, if you're looking for someone to go to the Sweet 16 or something, UNC and NC State can uh, can get that far. 
All right. Well, you know, Kels, you pretty much just took all four teams away from Jeremy. So now, what's he going to say? Well, I mean, I can sort of work with that. Um, I'm not sure if Maryland's going to make the tournament, but I will say that if they do, they're a team that you could look at to maybe win two or three games. Um, Not because they're a fantastic team, but because, you know, against the majority of teams that they're going to go up against in those first couple games, Des Wells Mm -hmm. and Alex Len are going to be the two best players on the floor. Um, So just based on that, they're going to have that potential to maybe make the Sweet 16, but like obviously they probably wouldn't go past that. Um, but if they end up making the tournament as one of those play-in 12 seeds, um, which mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if you're, I'm still looking at the Lenardi bracket right now, he has them out. Um, but if you know, if the Ole Miss win shakes things up, maybe they get in. Um, you know, they could they could win two or three games just because they have the talent. Um, mm-hmm. But by the time that they're going to play teams that have comparable talent that actually play well together, that's when they're probably going to lose. Yeah, fair enough. And I think you just kind of said Maryland's problem in a nutshell and why they're probably not going to get into the tournament, why their bubble probably burst with that loss uh, to Virginia as well. You know, they're a talented, talented group, and there's not many guys in the country that can match Alex Lem, you know, with his size and skill. But it just hasn't translated to a consistent, uh, solid play from them. And, and Dez Wells really has come on strong lately as well. He's really been great, especially in this ACC tournament. But I, I agree they are a little too inconsistent to make a run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's unfortunate. They'll be a fun team to watch in the NIT, though. <laughs> and uh, the NIT looks like it's going to be pretty fun, too, We, if we feel like getting to that. we got so much to get to. But there's some pretty good conference champions that didn't end up winning the tournament that are going to be NIT teams. And then, obviously, some teams like Maryland, Virginia, if they don't get in will be fun to watch, too. But uh, before we get to that, we'll move over to the final year of the Big East as it as we have come to know it, uh, and the final year of that Big East tournament before it becomes the new Big East with the Catholic Seven plus Butler, Xavier, and Creighton. Uh, Louisville obviously made its case for a number one seed, winning that uh, championship game over Syracuse, who went on a little bit of a run as well. Both teams uh, finished the regular season uh, on a hot streak. Kells. You know, I think it's pretty cut and dry in the Big East. Once again, it looks like they are going to have the most teams of any conference in America. Uh, who do you think gets in from the Big East? Well, I think you're looking, obviously, at Syracuse. I think Louisville could be uh, the number one overall seed in the tournament mm-hmm. when they get in. Uh, Marquette, obviously, Georgetown, uh, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame. And then I think you look at Cincinnati and Villanova. I think they've both done enough to get in. I think Villanova is uh, inconsistent. I don't think that they're going to make a run in this tournament. I think they could be uh, one and done, but they've got enough wins. Uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, Doug Gottlieb say actually on CBS uh, yesterday that uh, Villanova has the most 15-plus uh, point losses of any team that's <laughs> actually going to make the tournament field. So I think that's a little bit interesting for them, but it is pretty cut and dry in the Big East. Uh, I think there are a couple teams that if they had made a run in that Big East tournament, I'm talking about Providence here, uh, nine and nine in the league. If they had maybe won, you know, two or three games in that Big East tournament, they could have gotten in. But as far as the Big East goes, it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And Providence seems to have, you know, they're a young team. They woke up a little bit late this year, so it it would have been really tough for them to make it. But a, a very talented team. We've talked about them. Fun to watch. Uh, possibly another NIT team. So uh, and another team to look at next year. Uh, but yeah, once again, uh, I think the Big East is pretty cut and dry. 
uh, Georgetown, Louisville, Marquette, Syracuse, you mentioned. Uh, Villanova coming on strong at the end. They had that big win against Georgetown. They got some late wins. Uh, Cincinnati's an interesting team that will probably be in. Uh, Jeremy, with eight teams probably going to the tournament, there have to be some future pros in this field. Uh, who are you watching from the Big East come uh, time for the big dance? Um, well, Otto Porter is obviously the best player in the conference um, in terms of draft draft prospects, but I talked about him the last time I was on. So this time I'm going to take it a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to talk about Michael Carter-Williams from Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he projects as a point guard, um, mm-hmm. and his size is definitely a big asset there, but I don't mm-hmm. know that he is uh, quick enough to play NBA D which is a bit of a problem because if you move him to shooting guard, he can't shoot, which is kind yeah. of a big aspect of playing on the perimeter in the NBA. Um, so he, he reminds me a little bit of Sean Livingston, um, but mm-hmm. with less athleticism, which like he was probably <laughs> about as good as Sean Livingston is right now after the like life-altering injury that he had. Um, yeah. So in that sense, um, there is some concern about his future, um, but he is a natural point guard. Um, he plays in control. He's a very good passer distributor. Um, his assist to turnover ratio is one of the best in college the last time I looked at it. Um, so he has all the point guard skills. The only mm-hmm. question is whether he can translate athletically. Um, and his size uh, can help make up for some of that um, quickness that he doesn't have compared to you know, the elite NBA point guards. Um, he can use his length to stay in front of them, which will help. Um, but eventually his shooting, I think, is going to be the biggest concern. Uh, but if he can improve that over the summer, um, then he could he could be a pretty good pro. Yeah, he's definitely, I would say, the most interesting prospect to look at. You mentioned his size. He's, what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, pretty long. So obviously a, a big jumbo-sized point guard and a very good passer. I think pretty athletic, but like you said, I mean, if you can't stretch the defense shooting-wise, it's a little tough to play him out on the wing. Uh, so that that's going to be interesting. And the other thing about uh, Carter Williams is, you know, he plays in that Syracuse 2-3 defense, so we don't see him playing a lot of man-to-man defense against the better point guard in the conference. So it's a little tough to get a feel for him. Uh, Kels, have, have you gotten to see Carter Williams play at all this year? And what do you think of it? Does he need a big tournament to kind of uh, change people's perception of him? Yeah, well, I'd like to see him come back next year because I just think, you know, he is big. He's got all the physical tools to be a solid NBA player, but I'd like to see, as Jeremy said, him develop his shooting skills. I think if you're going to be a shooting guard in the league, you got to be able to shoot. So uh, I think that I'd love to see him come back and kind of hone on that. And uh, also, you know, I, I do like his effort and energy on the defensive end. I think uh, I know Syracuse plays zone, but he really does a great job of getting in people's faces, getting his hands up. And he's got such great length. I think he could be a decent player and could earn his way into being a uh, contributor at the next level. But I do think he needs to come back and kind of uh, put a little seasoning on him and uh, let him let him marinate a little bit before he gets into the draft. All right. Lovely, lovely imagery you've just given me, and I haven't had lunch yet, so now I'm very hungry. Uh, but not for Michael Carter-Williams. That's kind of gross. Uh, anyways, if you would like to speak to us, and the number here once again is 323 323- Nine two seven two nine zero six. Uh Oh, we didn't get into any surprise teams in the Big East, so I'll, I'll talk to you guys again. After the run Syracuse went on in the tournament, they looked more like the Syracuse team we were seeing early, 
So I would say if you're going away from the Louisville-Georgetown mold, that Syracuse is pretty tough to beat. They're a team that could definitely make a run to Sweet 16. And with that talent level, you know, if they start making shots, maybe even further. Uh, what do you think, Kels? Yeah, I mean, I really don't like the way they played at the end of the season um, until the Big mm-hmm. East tournament, but I think they do have a chance to make a run, and I think they're probably going to get a lower seed than they're expecting to get, even though they're 26-9, mm-hmm. and nine, just because of the way they played down the stretch. Um, I do like the fact, obviously, uh, they got dominated in the, at the end of the game against Louisville, but I like the way they played at the beginning there. And uh, I think they, they could have a chance to make a run. they got plenty of athletes, obviously. Um, if I'm picking one team out of the Big East to go to the Final Four, it's going to be Louisville. Um, I know mm-hmm. other people might think Georgetown uh, would have that chance, but I think Louisville because they've won 10 in a row. Uh, they could have won 14 in a row if it wasn't for that five-overtime game against Notre Dame. So, uh, they're really catching fire at the right time, and I like the way they're playing right now. Okay, Jeremy, you got any sleepers for us in the Big East? Um, I'm looking at Marquette just because mm-hmm. uh, they've beaten pretty much every other team of relevance in the Big East except Louisville. I don't think they beat Louisville. Um, but I'm, I'm, so I'm looking at their schedule here. They beat Syracuse, they beat Notre Dame, uh, beat Pittsburgh, beat Georgetown by one. When they played the Florida, when they played Florida, they only lost by 33. So that's pretty promising. Um, but, I mean, just recently uh, lost to Villanova and then lost to Notre Dame in the tournament. Uh, but other than that, they've looked really strong over the last, you know, month or so. Um, so if they can sort of ride that momentum through the first couple of rounds, they could make the Sweet 16 uh, just as an upset type of guy. But um, for the most part, like the teams you mentioned, um, Louisville, Syracuse, Georgetown, those are the teams to really watch. But if you're looking for an upset pick, I think Marquette's a decent pick. Yeah, and then another team that I can't seem to get my head around is uh, Pittsburgh. Everyone keeps saying they're so underrated, but at some point you have to do something to be to prove that you're underrated, I, I would think. Uh, I like the freshman Steven Adams out there. I think he's he adds a nice punch to that team. He's a pretty skilled big, uh, plays the four and five, does different things. Kel, you, you watch the Big East a lot more than me. What What is the deal with Pittsburgh? Are, are they a team that could actually surprise, or are they kind of another Danny Dixon, Pittsburgh, going to disappoint team? Yeah, you know, Joe, I just I, I don't really like Pittsburgh. They don't really have any quality wins when you look at their schedule. They haven't really beaten anybody that's really impressive, um, except for I think they beat Syracuse once, uh, which is not even at home, which it was at home, and it's not even that uh, impressive of a win when you see what happened to Syracuse the rest of the way. And I think they're too reliant on Trayvon Woodall. I think uh, when they lost him last year, they just completely fell apart, had a terrible season. And uh, this year it's kind of the same way. They just pretty much look to him for everything on the court offensively. And uh, you need to have more depth in the NCAA tournament. If the team takes him out of the game, you know, I don't think anyone else is really going to be able to step up on that team. So I don't like Pittsburgh to go very far. I might even pick them to lose in the first round, depending on the matchup in this tournament. Very cool, very cool. Uh, We'll move on from the Big East to the conference that many are saying is the best conference in America. Uh, It was a banner year for the Big Ten, and as many as seven or eight teams could get in. Uh, Kels, who do you have getting in from the Big Ten? Well, I think, obviously, you look at the Big Ten, best conference in the country. Um, Obviously, you've got to look at Indiana, uh, number one. Um, I I don't think they're going to get that number one seed. I think Miami might sneak in ahead of them, but... Uh, you got Ohio State, obviously, uh, getting in, Michigan State, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, and then I think Illinois, and I think Minnesota is going to get in there, even though they've had a terrible end of the season. I think their strength of schedule is so uh, great uh, right now. I think the beginning of the year when they had some quality wins, uh, when you look at the teams they beat, obviously they beat Memphis, uh, beating 
Illinois uh, had a good home win and over Indiana towards the end of the season. So I think Minnesota probably will get in. Um, I don't like Iowa to get in, even though they have a better conference record. Um, but I do think if you're looking at those teams, I think those are the teams that are going to make it out of the Big Ten. All right. And the Big East, like like I said, a banner year. Uh, most years everyone's always talking a little smack about them. It seems like this year everyone's kissing the Big East, or the Big Ten, pardon me, kissing the Big Ten's feet. Uh, obviously, I think Indiana, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, those are the absolute locks. And they're all fighting for pretty high seeds. Uh, obviously, Ohio State and Wisconsin going at it right now. Uh, just starting tipping off the Big Ten championship game. The next three are pretty interesting to me. Illinois, Minnesota, and Iowa. I don't think Iowa's in at this point. I think they needed to make a really deep run in that Big Ten tournament game, maybe to today, to the championship game. Uh, All three of those teams have pretty glaring weaknesses on their resume. Uh, For Minnesota and Illinois, it's those head-scratching losses to bad teams down the stretch like Purdue and Nebraska and Northwestern. Uh, But, you know, you look at their big wins. They've each beaten Indiana. Uh, you look at uh, Illinois has that big win over Gonzaga. So the, clearly the, the it's a high ceiling but a low basement for them. But, uh, you know, Iowa, the fact that they essentially scheduled a Division II non-conference slate, they just didn't play anybody in the non-conference. Their strength of schedule outside the Big Ten was in like the 300s. So uh, I think Iowa didn't do themselves any favors. They're a good young team that will probably be here next year. Uh, Illinois and Minnesota, I think they'll both get in, like you were saying, but honestly, if I were picking, I would bounce the Gophers. They've lost, what, four in a row, including, like I said, those losses to Purdue and Nebraska, and they they had the chance to knock off Illinois in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, and they got beat. I mean, yeah. I, I like the Gophers, but at some point you have to punish them for just flat out not being very good down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would be crying if they didn't get in. I think it's really their own fault. But I think you look at Minnesota, they're a ceiling team. It's kind of like, what is their ceiling? And I think their ceiling is probably a little bit higher than some of the other teams just because of the early season success they had. Mm -hmm. But you're right, Joe. I think uh, if Minnesota gets left out, they got nothing to do but look in the mirror. Yeah, and, you know, you look at that team, again, an experienced front line, Trevor and Beckway, Rodney Williams. This was supposed to be Tubby Smith's team in Minnesota that finally – wasn't inconsistent, and they've been consistently inconsistent. So give them credit for that, I guess. Uh, Jeremy, over to you. Much has been made of Indiana's duo of Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo. Uh, How do you kind of view those two as prospects, and is there anybody else from the conference that you're going to be watching closely? Uh, Well, you and I talked about this on Friday, um, you know, as we were leading up to the show. And uh, both of us, really seem to like uh, Oladipo. Uh, the phrase that you use that I really like is that he's effortlessly athletic. Um, yeah. And if you look at, uh, if you're trying to blend the two schools of thought, which is the, you know, the athletic and the skill-based stuff, which is versus the actual, you know, the hard statistics, they're matching up, which is really rare for a high draft pick. Um, I mean, obviously, guys like Anthony Davis have both, best of both worlds. But for a guy that has sort of flown under the radar for most of his career. Um, it's pretty rare that you see someone with all the athletic skills and all the, the statistical background. Right now he's shooting 61% from the floor, 65% on twos, 46% on threes. Um, he's a lockdown defender. He's explosive in the open court. Um, he probably projects more as a shooting guard in the NBA, but because of his length and his athleticism, he could probably play small forward against you know, most matchups. Obviously, he can't guard LeBron, 
But then again, nobody can guard LeBron, so that's not really a, a criticism for him. Um, I mean, the only reason that he's not projected to be, you know, maybe the number one pick in the draft, just because this seems to be a, a wide-open draft, is because he didn't really have that pedigree when he came into school. Um, but if you're only going to look at, you know, just this season versus the, mm-hmm. this season for all the other draft players, he could be the number one pick if you only want to look at that. Um I mean, he is two years older than Noel, uh, a year older than Muhammad, and same age as Zeller and Macklemore. But I mean, if you're if you're looking for someone that's going to get drafted in that four to eight range that could, you know, jump and be the best player out of this draft, I think he's the guy that you should look at. Uh, we also talked about Zeller on Friday. Both of us think that he's kind of soft, um, even though he's he's got size and he's got skill, um, but. I mean, he's, I don't think he's aggressive enough right now where you can definitely say, oh, he's going to be an impact player in the NBA. I think he's definitely going to be a starting center, um, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he's going to be the kind of world beater that some people were expecting him to be based on, uh, you know, his high school uh, pedigree and all that. Um, and for other guys in the conference, Trey Burke, um, just with his quickness, um, is going to be a really good pick-and-roll guard in the league. His decision-making isn't perfect, but uh, his quickness and explosiveness towards the rim is, is definitely going to be something that can translate. He can be a maybe not a starting point guard, but he could be a good third guard, uh, sort of a change of pace guy off the bench. Um, and if you're looking for super deep uh, sleepers, I think uh, Mbakwe, he, uh, he has some injury history. He has some off-the-court stuff, uh, but he's, he's long. He can rebound. He's pretty energetic. Um, you know, Kenneth Reed sort of comes to mind and sort of that, you know, super mm-hmm. athletic big man that is limited in a lot of aspects of the game, but just his energy and his athleticism overcomes a lot of that. Um, so that's something to watch out for. And and Brandon Paul from Illinois uh, is someone else that could be a second-round pick. Um, he needs to improve his shooting, but he's a pretty good off-the-dribble scorer, so he's someone else that you could keep an eye on. Okay, and I, I noticed you didn't mention Deshaun Thomas, the leading scorer from the conference, and I feel like he's kind of fallen off everyone's radar. Uh, he was really highly regarded coming out of high school. I believe he is Indiana's all-time leading scorer in the history of Indiana high school basketball, and I think he passed Eric Gordon for that, and obviously a, a lot of great players have come out of Indiana. Uh, I don't really know what to make of him. He came in uh, right after uh, with a really decorated class, and he just never seemed to step up until really this year when it became his show. I'm curious to see what he does in the tournament. Ohio State's going to go as far as he can carry them. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. Um, I mean, obviously he's a great college player, as you mentioned. Um, And, you know, Ohio State's hopes in the tournament definitely rest on his shoulders. In terms of his pro potential, he's sort of caught between positions. I'm not sure if he's going to be a small Mm -hmm. forward or a power forward. Um, His shooting will definitely help him as a power forward. Um, But he's, he's obviously undersized at power forward. Um, and I'm not sure if he has the um, the raw athletic skills um, to be a, mm-hmm. a dominant uh, small forward in the league. He probably projects as a second round pick. I'll, he'll probably get drafted. Um, you know, the, the the sleepers that I talked about in Bakway um, uh, might not get drafted just because he's he's a fringe second rounder right now. Thomas is uh, has a better chance to get drafted, but I'm not sure he's going to be uh, much more than a you know. His ceiling might be as a rotation player in the league. Okay. 
All right, looking at which teams can make a surprise run, obviously Indiana right now is a, is a Final Four favorite, probably going to be a number one seed, something like that. I'm looking at a team like Michigan State, uh, and not necessarily with their big-time guys, you know, Payne, everybody knows, but young guy Gary Harris, uh, Brandon Dawson, a sophomore, they've got a good combination of skill with Harris and athleticism and just pure brute force with Dawson. Uh, really liking what I'm seeing from those guys. They can shoot it from the outside. Izzo's obviously proven that he's a great coach in the tournament. Uh, Kels, I'll go to you. Who do you think outside of the, you know, Indiana, who do you think from the Big Ten could really make a run? Yeah, I'm looking at Wisconsin, Joe. I think that's the team you really have to take a look at right now. They've really been great down the stretch uh, beating Michigan. They've owned Michigan this year, just completely dominated them in that Big Ten tournament game, uh, completely dominated Indiana for much of the second half yeah. as well, which was kind of surprising. Bo Ryan is such a great coach, especially when it comes to tournament time. Uh, he loves this type of this time of year, and he really loves being able to get his players to play at a high level. And there's such a tough matchup in the tournament as well with the style that they play, the defense that they play. So if there's one team that I think could make a run, it's Wisconsin. They've really turned it on right now. Yeah, and, uh, again, that game just tipped off. Ohio State up by two right now in the very, very early goings. Uh, we should mention that St. Louis did close the door on Virginia Commonwealth to wrap up the Atlantic 10 Tournament Championship. They won 62-56. Uh, to 56. Jeremy, over to you. Outside of Indiana, do, do you think there's another Final Four threat in the Big Ten? Um, final Four threat, uh, the only one that I would point to would be Michigan State, um, just mm-hmm. because they have they have the talent level to do it, and Tom Izzo has, as you said, is proven to be a really good tournament coach. Um, I really like Wisconsin also. Um, basically for all the reasons that Kells mentioned. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned this the last time that I was on the show. When I'm filling out my bracket, if I'm in doubt, and from any other conference, I'm just going to put through the Big Ten just because I think there's such a strong conference this year. Um, you know, even the weakest teams in the conference that might get in, like the right matchup, they, like, they could upset, you know, a potentially high seed, um, you know, like a one of the lower two seeds like Florida or, um, you know, one of the, the lower three seeds. Um, I'm trying to think of who might be a three seed this year. I'm drawing a, like Kansas State, someone like that. Those are mm-hmm. the teams that, you know, I, I, could, I could see the lower teams in the Big Ten knocking off those higher seeds. Conference. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously playing in a tough conference prepares you for uh... – playing tough competition once you get to the tournament. We've seen it so often. Uh, you know, I, I point to a league like the ACC this year, maybe the Pac-12, that the bottom of those conferences has been pretty abysmal. And you pretty much get off nights where you pick up easy wins. Uh, the Big Ten isn't that much of a meat grinder, as I said before, uh, I think a couple weeks ago. You know, Penn State and Nebraska are, are not good teams, and neither is Northwestern. But, you know, that conference goes probably nine deep with teams you can't sleep on at all. And, and even Nebraska picked up some nice wins. So teams coming out of the Big Ten are definitely going to be battle-tested and tournament-ready, uh, but it's uh, it's going to definitely be interesting to see what a team like, uh, say, a Michigan who has Trey Burke, you know, they, they each of those each team in the Big Ten I'm looking at, maybe other than a Wisconsin, has that one kind of transcendent player that can take over a game. And I, I don't know if any other conference in America has that many teams that can do that. Uh, We'll move on, unless you have something to add. I thought I heard somebody try to jump in on that. 
I, I yep. didn't, but uh, I could say I, I don't like the way Michigan's played at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, really losing some games, obviously, to Penn State. So at the end, yep. uh, on the road, which is a terrible loss. But um, I, I just don't like the way that they've uh, finished. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the tournament. Yeah, and Michigan's really interesting because they're very, very young. You know, they're relying on Glenn Robinson the third a lot, a freshman. Uh, Nick Stauskas is a freshman. Mitch McGarry is a freshman. And, and Trey Burke, you know, he's the old guy there, but he's, he's only a sophomore. And then you look, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a junior, which I guess works. Uh, so, But, uh, you know, outside of that, they're still a pretty young team, so you expect a little bit of inconsistency. But, you know, they have some really nice wins. They obviously played Indiana to the wire and, kind of gave that one away. They've got a good win over uh, Michigan State towards the end of the year. So Michigan, I wouldn't – I'd say they have the potential to make the Final Four, but if I'm picking which teams in the Big Ten to go there, I'm definitely going Indiana and Michigan State. And I think I'd even put Wisconsin just because they're more consistent uh, ahead of Michigan at that point. Uh, I guess we'll move a little bit south in America's heartland, and we'll go to the uh, top-heavy Big 12. Kells, we'll go back to you. We know – that those two teams in Kansas can really ball. We know that uh, Okie State's having a great year. Who else do you have to field from the Big 12? Well, Joe, I think I really liked what Iowa State did in the tournament uh, coming back against Oklahoma in that first round. They were down big, and they showed the heart uh, that they needed to win that game and came back and uh, advanced, and I think that might have put them in the field. Um, mm-hmm. Oklahoma is right there on the bubble. I'm not, I'm not sure that they're going to get in, though. I just don't think they have enough quality wins. Uh, 2011, 20 and 11, and I think that game against Iowa State might have been a play-in game for the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament. Also, they lost to TCU at the end of the year, which is just a crippling loss. Another loss to Texas, which is awful. So they've got some puzzling losses that could leave them out of the field. Um, and I think Baylor, I don't think they've done enough either. I think uh, the win over Kansas was big um, at the end of the season. Obviously, they blew them out. But I just thought they just had a chance in that Oklahoma State game. If they could have won that game, they ended up losing mm-hmm. by two. Uh, they could have pulled through and won that game. I know Peter Jackson had a shot to win it at the end. If that shot had gone down, I think Baylor would probably be in the field. But I just don't think they've done enough. So for right now, I'm saying Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. I think those are the only four that get into the field out of the Big 12. Wow, wow. Uh, I'm with you on the Kansas schools, Oklahoma State, obviously. Uh, after that, I'm a little skeptical. You know, Oklahoma has played pretty poorly down the stretch. They're kind of the Minnesota of the Big 12. They're a Minnesota light. Uh, Iowa State couldn't seem to get that signature win away from home for a while. But I, but I look at both of them, and look, they're both solidly in the 40s in RPI, and they both played pretty tough schedules. Despite Oklahoma's semi-breakdown, I think they're probably both going to get in. I don't think I agree with you on Baylor. I don't think they get in. I don't think they get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, they have that big win over Kansas and almost beat OK State. OK State. Uh, as talented as they are, you look at their schedule, they're 3-10 and 10 against the RP, RPI Top 50. I think that's kind of too big of a blemish. They have one mega win, but they don't have many other above-average wins. And I think 3-10 and 10 against the Top 50 – is just too big of a blemish to ignore, at least in my opinion. Uh, Jeremy, I know you're a big fan of Ben McLemore. Uh, who else do you see as prospects from the Big 12? Uh, maybe a guy like Marcus Smart or somebody like that. Um, yeah, so you mentioned McLemore, um, and obviously I'm a big fan of him. If you're looking at someone that is 
uh, probably the most sure thing in the draft. I would say he is just because of Noel's injury. Um, other than him, um, I really like Isaiah Austin, uh, even though I have no legitimate reason to. Um, <laughs> just his size uh, is is really impressive in his athletic ability. Uh, and he's actually a, a half-decent shooter from the college three-point line. He made 32% of his threes this year. So it'll be interesting to see if he can if he can expand that range of the NBA line. That could be um, that could be really valuable because there's there aren't that many seven footers that can shoot threes in the league right now. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, um, Marcus Smart looks like the best point guard in this draft. Uh, he's got a lot of size. Uh, he's bruising when he goes to the rim. Jump shot isn't what you would want it to be um, for a point guard in the NBA. Um, but he's a rebounder, so you could you could see some um, some Rajon Rondo parallels in in, in that regard. Um, obviously, he's not the distributor that Rondo is. Uh, but if, if you're looking for someone um, that could really jump up his draft stock in the in the tournament, um, if Oklahoma State makes a run and Smart plays really well, he's someone that you could potentially see leapfrogging guys like Noel and Macklemore possibly the number one pick. Oh, well, I mean, he's obviously having a great year. And, Kels, I know you you are a big fan of Marcus Smart. I know you compared him pretty favorably to Jason Kidd. Uh, do you think he could – does he have the most to gain this tournament of any player? I think he does. I think he could have a coming out party in this tournament because I think when you look at his stats, Joe, not to compare him to Jason Kidd, obviously, uh, Jason Kidd, a much better player, but Marcus Smart, uh, 15 points a game, 5.7 rebounds per game, uh, averages four and a half assists per game as well, also three steals. That's a lot for one guy to do. He really does pretty much everything for that team. So I think uh, if Oklahoma State makes a deep run, it could be because of him, and I think he could definitely uh, vault his, his uh, draft stock up a little bit. I'm not sure if I would like him over Ben McLemore. I think McLemore obviously has a higher ceiling, um, but I love Marcus Smart. I think he's a great player, and I think he's going to project pretty well at the next level. Yeah, and you look at OK State, and obviously his uh, partner in, in uh, crime, Markel, Markel Brown, has had a nice year, maybe playing himself in the lottery. Uh, out of Kansas, Jeff Webby, uh, the lone senior in the conference that could make some noise. He's a shot-blocking machine, uh, but the Jayhawks have obviously waited a long time for him to become a consistent uh, offensive force. Outside of those three teams we talked about, the two Kansas teams in Oklahoma State, quick, guys, is there a team that you see that could maybe make a run to the Sweet 16 in the Big 12 that we're overlooking here? Uh, Joe, I don't think there is. I mean, obviously I think Iowa State is going to be in the field. Um, Will Clyburn I think is a a decent player who could maybe lead them to a first-round win. But I think those are the three teams that have a chance to make a run. If Baylor gets in, obviously I like their athleticism and they maybe have a chance if they get the right matchups to advance to the Sweet 16. But I don't think anyone else can make a deep run here. Okay. Jeremy, uh, is that kind of the consensus from you? Yeah, I would agree with that. you know, Oklahoma and Iowa State are their passable teams, their tournament teams, um, but they they both probably project to be 10, 11, 12 seeds, something around there. Um, so anything beyond one win, um, I think, is, is expecting too much for them. Ah, oh, man, really down on those guys. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Iowa State is uh... – kind of the the mind is willing and the body is unable. I just don't think they have the talent to really make a deep run. Oklahoma, a little bit of the opposite. They have 
a decent, decently talented squad. They just seem to be throwing games away. So uh, kind of two different reasons why I don't see either one of those teams playing past the tournament's first weekend. Uh, once again, if you'd like to chat with me or my distinguished colleagues, the number here is 323-927-2906. Call in. Ask us about any team on the bubble, uh, if your favorite team's going in or falling out. Once again, that's 323-927-2906. And, guys, we're going to have our first guest, Julie Quitner. Uh, She covers the Florida Gators, so she's obviously probably too thrilled about their uh, close loss to Ole Miss. We're going to have her on at around uh, the top of the hour at 4 o'clock. But before that, let's take a quick dip back into the mid-majors for a moment and talk about the oft-overlooked Missouri Valley Conference, where uh, Creighton and their star Doug McDermott uh, are in as conference champions. But uh, they want to close one over Wichita State, and Wichita State looks like they're probably uh, a lock for the tournament as well. Uh, so let's talk about it, Kells. You know, it doesn't look like anybody else in this conference is getting in, but how good are Creighton and Wichita State, and how far can they go? Yeah, Joe, I mean, uh, I think Creighton is a team that can really go far in this tournament. I think maybe Sweet 16, if they get the right matchup, possibly go to the Elite Eight. Uh, You look at their numbers, and obviously they have some puzzling losses. They had a tough stretch uh, there in uh, early February where they lost three straight, um, did not look great, and they fell out of the rankings. But earlier in the year, I mean, they've beaten Wisconsin. Obviously, as you mentioned, Doug McDermott, one of the best players in the country. Uh, They're ranked number one in field goal percentage, which I think is going to be key in the tournament when you need to make shots. I think they've got a great half-court offense, especially with McDermott. They can throw it into him and uh, get some buckets when they need it there. Uh, they rank 24th in points per game and 5th in assists per game, so they love to share the ball. I think those are all ingredients that can help them make a run in this NCAA tournament. And it does depend on the matchups, but I think that they're a team that could make some a lot of noise, really, uh, in this tournament. I think Wichita State has got the same... Uh, type of ability, same type of ceiling as a team, but I just don't think they have the McDermott, the one guy who can really uh, go off and lift them into the next round. I know Clay Anthony Early is a decent player. Uh, he might be able to uh, lift them a little bit, maybe to a first-round win or even into the Sweet 16, but that's their ceiling. I think Creighton is a little bit better, has a little bit more of a chance to really make some, some real noise in this tournament. Yeah, and obviously when you have a star like McDermott who is uh, you know, on the Naismith watch all year being talked about, uh, as an All-American candidate, uh, clearly a very, very good college player, very decorated. But, uh, Jeremy, this is the guy I was excited to talk to you about. Uh, Doug McDermott, what do you make of this guy? You know, we were kind of talking about uh, him going against different levels of competition. So I'm going to ask you this. He's a great white hope or another Adam Morrison or possibly something in between? Yeah, he's a pretty because if you're just looking at his skill set, um, it's it's obviously doing great things for him in college, and it, it, on the surface, it looks like something that would definitely translate in the NBA. Uh, but his problem is his size. Um, like he seems pretty big out there in college, but he's only six eight. So if he can play power forward in the NBA, that's a little bit small if you don't have the athleticism to, to pick up for it. Um, I think uh, the tournament is going to be a really good indicator of how good he can be in the league because he's going to be going up against more athletic front lines than he faced during the regular season against, you know, Northern Iowa State yeah. and Drake and all these teams in the Missouri Valley that don't really have the, the super athletic forwards that are the kind of players that can give him problems. So if you look at him in the first couple rounds, 
um, depending on who they're matched up against. If he goes up against, you know, a really good shot blocker with a lot of length, a lot of athleticism, um, someone that can bother him on defense, and, you know, maybe someone that can post him up and make him work on defense. If you look at the, his specific matchups uh, in the first couple rounds, depending on who they play, obviously, um, it'll be a pretty good indicator of what makes it elite. If he can handle his own against a more athletic guy or even, you know, excel for whatever you know, whatever he does that allows him to do that. Um, he could jump up and draft boards, but if he just gets completely swallowed up the same way that, you know, Omar Samhan did a couple of years ago against Baylor, he was someone that people were talking about maybe as someone that could get drafted uh, a little bit higher than people thought. But then he went up against a good shot blocker, and all of a sudden he disappeared, and he didn't get drafted. Um, so that's something that could happen to McDermott. Um, he, he's really high-ceiling player based on how he does in the tournament, but if he if he just completely falls apart, he might fall out of the draft altogether. You really think he could fall out of the draft altogether? If he is like a complete train wreck in two straight games, <laughs> yes. Oh. Well, uh, on one point, I don't know how he could be a complete train wreck in two straight games, because I don't see them winning a game without him playing sort of well, but, but your point is well taken. Uh, uh, I guess, Kells, what, what are your thoughts on McDermott? Where do you where do you see him ending up, and what, where do you think he is in the grand scheme of, uh, you know, good college players this year? Yeah, well, I think, obviously, he's one of the best college players in the nation, and uh, to Jeremy's point, I think he's played well in the tournament in the past. I think he's already proven mm-hmm. that he can play, uh, I think, against North Carolina. Uh, he was really Creighton's only option in that game, and he played yeah. well in that game. Um, and I think they've won tournament games in the past where he's shown up and he's really looked good against Alabama, uh, earlier in the year, he put up 20 against North Carolina in that second-round game. So I think at 6'8", he's probably definitely going to be a small forward in the league. And I think uh, he can. the way he can contribute is if he can uh, find a way to get his shot off, which I think he probably will do in the league. So I'm not that worried about him as far as uh, the NBA. I think he's got a, a decent chance to make a team and maybe contribute a little bit. Okay, okay, guys. Uh, we're coming up on having our, our first guest come on, and like I said, it's uh, Julie Quitner from the Gainesville Television Network. She covers the Florida Gators. Uh, she should be coming on at the top of the hour. Uh, but first, before she comes on, I want uh, you guys to get some smack talking in about the Florida Gators. Uh, <laughs> we just saw them lose to Ole Miss. They've been a little bit inconsistent. Um, Kels, I'll go to you. Where do you kind of see the Gators ending up uh, in the tournament seeding the first First and foremost, where do you think they're going to end up being seated? Uh, and how deep of a run do you see this team being able to make? Yeah, Joe, I think the loss to Ole Miss may knock them down to another a number three seed. I think that is possible. I think uh, maybe most likely likely they'll end up with a number two seed. And uh, I don't like the way they played down the stretch, losing to Ole Miss. I think uh, obviously Ole Miss needed the game a little bit more, but it just would have left a better taste in your mouth if Florida had won that game. I think mm-hmm. the fact that they lost that Kentucky – Obviously, not a great loss for them, especially when you look at what Kentucky did in the tournament. Um, so I think, you know, they've got a chance maybe to make a run. I know, obviously, it all depends on matchups. I know last year you probably wouldn't have thought that they would have made that run to the Elite Eight. Um, I know that the Norfolk State upset of Missouri in the first round helped them out a little mm-hmm. bit in that regard. But I think, you know, obviously, Billy Donovan, great coach. I think they've got the potential to make that run. And I know that the point guard, Kenny Boyton, he's been to the Elite Eight twice. I know they really want to get over that hump and get to the Final Four. I'm just not sure if they're playing well enough right now to be able to do it. If you would have asked me this maybe a month ago, I think I would have said maybe they have a chance to reach the Final Four, but right now I just don't like the way that they're playing. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think a month ago we could have made a case for them being the best team in college basketball. You know, they were playing that well, and, and they seem to have, uh, you know, a solid player at every position. They can shoot pretty well. They've got two pretty good interior presences, and uh, Patrick Young, Eric Murphy, uh, and Murphy can obviously stretch the floor as a jump shooter. Kenny Boynton was playing well. He's kind of disappeared uh, with the exception, I believe, he's pretty well. I think he went on a knockout run by himself against Alabama the other night. But, but other than that, they've been kind of waiting for him to show up. Uh, the Gators are, along with Miami, I think, a team that has the talent to really make a run, but it's going to be which team shows up because, you know, the, the Hurricanes have had some games where they just haven't showed up either. Uh, let's see, do we have her on the line yet? Not quite yet. Uh, well, then I guess we will uh, wait till she calls in, and I guess we won't get to come fresh off of Gator Smack Talking uh, to get to her. Once again, if you'd like to call in here, the number is 323 323- Nine two seven two nine zero six, and uh, we will move over and talk about a different mid major. Well, I don't even know if it's fair to call them a mid major at this point because the Mountain West has had such a great season. Uh, Kels, I know you're a big fan of the Mountain West. Uh, I see probably about five teams making it in. Uh, who do you have going to the big dance from that conference? Yeah, Joe. I think uh, I think there are going to be five. Although I think Boise State is the fifth team, and I would not be surprised if they got left out. Um, I think, obviously, you look at New Mexico, uh, Colorado State, who has uh, been really an underrated team this season, uh, UNLV and uh, San Diego State, and then I think I look at the Broncos at number five. Um, I think those are the teams that, really, out of all of those teams, I think the team that can make a run is Colorado State. Um, I know that uh, losing in the tournament to uh, UNLV in the Mountain West Conference tournament, but they've got a good big man in Colton Iverson. Uh, Dorian Green is a point guard with a lot of experience, and they were in the tournament last year. Uh, lost to Murray State in the first round, but I think they've got enough quality players, four guys who average in double figures. When you look at Greg Smith, who's another good uh, power forward for them. So I look at those teams that are making it in, and uh, Colorado State is my sleeper team from the Mountain West. Yeah, and obviously having an experienced point guard always helps you to make that run uh, in March. It's always good to have solid guard play and not turn the ball over, and uh, especially when the game kind of slows down, it helps to have that distributing point guard. So uh, definite plus for Colorado State in that category. Um, I'm looking at it, and I think you can make a great case a great case for Boise State, despite its performance in the Mountain West Tournament. Uh, obviously, New Mexico, UNLV, Colorado State, San Diego State all look like they're locks to get in at this point. Uh, I'm a little on the fence about Boise, though. You know, they've got a mid-40s RPI. Their out-of-conference strength of schedule isn't great, but they did score that nice win over Creighton in the non-conference, so that, that's a big plus for them. Uh, they have home wins over UNLV, Colorado State, San Diego State. So they've beaten the big players in the conferences. They've shown they can beat teams with a lot of talent. Uh, so they're kind of tough to get a handle on. You know, if they finish stronger, I, I don't think this would even be a question. As of right now, I think they could be a play-in team, something like that. They could be fun to watch. Uh, but we shall see on the Broncos. They're definitely one of the teams that's going to be sweating it out because of their uh, tournament performance. Uh, Jeremy, let's go and talk to you about some guys in the Mountain West. There's definitely some NBA prospects, you know, a guy like Anthony Bennett. Uh, who do you see or who are you going to be keeping an eye on this uh, this week? when you look at uh, the Mountain West? Um, I think Bennett is definitely uh, the class of the conference. Uh, he just turned 20, which is uh, a bit of a concern uh, just because the the track record for 20-year-old freshmen uh, isn't great. But uh, he he's really bruising inside, um, and he has the range to step out and shoot the college three at least. Um, mm-hmm. So he's going to be—he's going to have that pick and, pick and pop game. 
um, in the NBA, and if he like like the other guys that I've mentioned that you know have the uh, have the college three, if he can step out and shoot the NBA three, um, that's going to be even more valuable for him. Uh, he's a bit undersized; he's only six seven, but he's two forty. Sorry, Jeremy, you're breaking up a little bit, so we missed that last part. What did you say? He's only listed as weight as uh, is 240, but uh, according to reports, he's been putting on weight as the season goes, and right now he might weigh as much as 260. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on in terms of how well he can you know, move people around inside, and he's got a lot of length as wingspan, 7'2". Um, so he, he's got a lot to, uh, to, to look for, um, and he probably projects as a, as a high lottery pick you know, in that, in that same 4 to 8 range around the Oladipo, Auto Porter, Marcus Smart range. Okay. Uh, Kels, I want to go back to you and talk about some other guys that are uh, major players in this conference. Maybe you don't have the quite as bright of a future in the NBA, but, you know, a guy like San Diego State's Jamal Franklin, uh, the combo wing that's been improving ever since he got to campus. Kendall Williams has meant so much to New Mexico at the point. Uh, are there any other guys that are, you know, just fun college players to watch that you think can make some noise in the tournament? Yeah, well, uh, really quickly on Bennett, it's uh, really surprising to me that he's still as high as he is when he's uh, not showing up in certain games. I just think he's a little inconsistent at times. I mean, is there any reason for him to score five points in a loss to Fresno State early in the year? I mean, I think that's just uh, – I know obviously he has all the physical tools, but I think he's just a little inconsistent. Um, when you look at the rest of the conference, I love Tony Snell from New Mexico. He was absolutely on fire uh, in the tournament, he won them that championship basically, mm-hmm. uh, just knocking down three after three. I think he's a guy who, if he gets hot, he could be a, the reason why New Mexico makes a run deep into the Elite Eight, maybe possibly. Uh, I think New Mexico, obviously, uh, at 29 and 5, I think they've got a real chance of getting a high seed. Um, and I also like Derek Marks from uh, Boise State. If he's able to get into the tournament, I think that he's a guy who uh, could really make some noise. He's averaging 17 and a half points a game. Uh, four assists the game. He really does everything for that Boise State team. So those are some guys that I really like out of that Mountain, Mountain West Conference. And I also like Franklin. I think there's a ton of great players in this conference, a little bit underrated as a conference as a whole. So uh, got to love those guys in that league. Yeah, most definitely. If they get five teams in the tournament, it's, you know, it's awfully hard to call them a mid-major. Uh, I believe we have our first guest on the line. Uh, Julie, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. All right, we've got Julie Quitner, sports reporter from the Gainesville Television Network. She covers the Florida Gators, SEC extraordinaire. Uh, Julie, so first of all, uh, i got to get your thoughts on the Gators, you know, recent, I guess very recent, within the last hour, uh, SEC tournament championship loss to Ole Miss. Uh, what kind of happened to the Gators? They seemed to be in control, and then Ole Miss went on a little bit of a run, uh, and they just couldn't get, couldn't get the lead back. What do you make of the Gators at this point? I think Florida broke down defensively in the second half. Uh, I was just seeing, you know, some, some reaction after the game, and that's basically what they said. They need to, you know, play two halves of basketball. In the semifinal against Alabama, it was, just, it was the opposite story. You know, they, they came back in the second half and had a great second half and didn't play well in the first half. You've got to put it together and play two good halves of basketball to, to win tough games like this. And now Florida is a whopping 0-6 in games decided by six points or less. So that's not a very good statistic that you want to take into the NCAA tournament. And they're just wow. known as a team that, that can't come up in clutch situations and can't close out close games. 
Well, uh, Julie, I got to say, you may have just totally changed my opinion of Florida with that statistic. I did not know that. Very interesting. Can't win the close one. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, go yeah, before yeah. the loss to Ole Miss, yeah. though. They had they had been playing well. Yeah, but, uh, I was going to say. Yeah, they they won all the games that they've won this season are by double digits. So they have yeah. the talent, and it's, it's there. They have plenty of talent. They just got to put it all together in one game. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. And another thing that was a little concerning to me, before the SEC tournament, they had lost their last three road games in a row, and, and not to, to great teams. Is there some concern that they can't win away from uh, away from the Odo? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that, I think that was linked to a losing close game situation. Uh, you know, they, it seemed that they couldn't win on the road, and uh, people have to work for Luckily, they don't have to play through road games anymore because, um, you know, the NCAA tournament is, you know, neutral type. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was that was a concern. I mean, something Billy Donovan said about just the close game situation is that he didn't like the way his team turned the ball over, uh, you know, down the stretch. I mean, when they played Kentucky in the season finale, uh, they went seven-minute scoring drought and just scored yeah. nothing in the last seven minutes of the game. It was unbelievable. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely concerns right now, especially after today's loss. So we'll have to wait and see. Okay. And looking at that uh, semifinal against Alabama, Kenny Boynton kind of went off, went on his own personal 9-0 run, I think, at one point, uh, and kind of answered some critics. But before that, he had struggled a little bit with consistency. You know, can this team go far without Kenny Boynton playing well? Well, uh, you know, I think so. I think because, like I said, they have so much talent. You know, today, you know, Boynton – kind of showed up when he felt like it again. Um, but when he does, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty thing because he can he can get the ball to the basket and he can go on, you know, a streak from three. And, you know, I don't think they need him. They, I mean, obviously LSU is not that talented, but Eric Murphy had 27 points in the quarterfinal game against LSU. If, if Eric Murphy can show up, which today he didn't, he airballed back-to-back shots. If Eric Murphy can show up, you know, maybe there's not so much pressure on Slayton. Mike Rosario can be very clutch. Mm. Two two or three of their starters can show up, and you don't need necessarily all five of them to do so. I mean, I said the other day, imagine if all five of these guys showed up at the same game. It would be (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people early on in the year were thinking that Florida was a, a legit national title contender. You mentioned Rosario. He had a nice run-stopping little drive earlier in this game. Uh, who is the one player, though? You know, you mentioned so many different guys that really is, is key to the Gators tournament run. Is it a guy like Murphy or maybe a guy like Young? Who's that one person? I was going to show it. I was going to say Patrick Young because he can he can't when he decides. I mean, Donovan said it, it's a choice for him when he decides that he wants to play and he wants to show up and work hard. It can be a difference maker. I mean, Florida, when when they're points in the paint, that's never a, a stat that really stands out for mm-hmm. Florida. And they just need to be more physical, which is something we saw today. And if Patrick Patrick Young is a major, you know, reason of that and for that. So if Patrick Young can show up and be a double double guy, I mean, Florida should shouldn't have an issue. But he's someone who's been kind of a disappointment this season. Yet. He's a, you know, first-round projected draft pick in the NBA. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you sound a little frustrated. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I'll let you take out your frustrations a little bit. What seed do the Gators deserve after today's game? I 
think they. I think with a win, there was some two seed talk, but without it, I mean, I don't. They should get a three, um, mm-hmm. just based on even. They had some great early wins in the season that I think have a little bit forgotten. They blew out Marquette and blew out uh, Wisconsin teams that are playing really well right now. Obviously, it was a long time ago, but you can't just forget about them. Um, but I mean, I would say a three seed is fair. I wouldn't be shocked if they got a four, but I would say in that three, three, four range. Okay. And now the Gators have, uh, you know, they've made some runs. I think they made a run from what a seven seed uh, last year. You know, they've gotten and they've gotten some uh, favorable draws the last couple of years that have worked out for them uh, matchup wise. What do you see as the ceiling for this team uh, as it's constructed right now? Considering last season, obviously a team that was projected to go that far, they were so close to a Final Four appearing, which is obviously extremely difficult. So I don't see how, you know, you can't expect a similar outing this year with a complete team, barring no injuries, which Florida has dealt with plenty this season. Um, If there's no injuries, I mean, this could be a Final Four team. And and that's what they're hoping and, and thinking. So, you know, with, with Eric Murphy and Kenny Boynton as seniors, I don't see that this team – I wouldn't be surprised if this team made it to the Final Four or even a national championship game, but they can't expect to play the way they did today to do so. But it's definitely a, a possibility. That would be their ceiling, I would say. All right. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for coming on and taking the chance to chat with us. That's Julie Quitner, a sports reporter for the Gainesville Television Network. Have a good one, Julie. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye. Um, so, guys, I want to go back to you real quick. And uh, Julie, clearly sounding frustrated with the Gators. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, again, just kind of want to get your feel uh, on what the ceiling is for this team. They're they're one of the great enigmas in all of college basketball. You know, she mentioned them being able to make a Final Four, and uh, I don't think anyone would argue with that talent-wise. But at this point, does that seem even remotely realistic? Well, I think it's realistic, Joe. I think uh, they are so enigmatic. I think everyone in college basketball is enigmatic this year, too. And I think the guy that I'm looking at for Florida to make that run here is Kenny Boynton. He's a senior point guard. He's been there before. Uh, he's taken the big shot and missed it. I think this year it's going to be up to him uh, late in the game. I think he's going to be the guy that's going to take the big shot. I think it's going to be uh, whether or not he does knock it down this time around, whether or not he has that determination to get them to the next level. I think uh, he's going to be the real key guy in their final four hopes. Yeah, and uh, I could not agree with you more. And as I said last week on the show, Kenny Boynton went to my high school, so I got to cheer for that guy, but he makes he makes it hard sometimes. Uh, let's move on and talk about the SEC as a whole right now. Uh, I know we were going to talk Pac-12, but we'll skip them over, and we'll let uh, our next guest, David Lombardi, who covers Stanford and the Pac-12 out there on the West Coast, we'll uh, let him kind of segue into that. But let's talk the rest of the SEC where – Oh, my goodness, Kentucky might be on the outside looking in right now after that terrible loss to Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. Uh, John Calipari seemed almost resigned to the NIT after that game, if you saw his post-game interview. Uh, could the Wildcats really miss the tournament? Right now I've got Florida and Missouri and now Ole Miss. You know, Kells, is that really it for the SEC? Uh, it's, it's looking that way, Joe. I mean, uh, obviously, that was such a bad loss to Vanderbilt. I mean, that's the last thing they needed, especially after losing to Arkansas and Georgia. Uh, the win over Florida for Kentucky was huge, and after that win, everyone thought, you know, they were in. It's just such an up-and-down thing with them. It's a roller coaster season. It's been all it's been that way the whole year. 
Um, and I think they are going to be on the outside looking in just because they did not show up in that game. Uh, the committee does put them in based on that showing. What are they really saying? I mean, if you're going to go out that way, lose to a team in Vanderbilt that is really just has nothing going for them this season. Uh, so I, I don't think right now that you can put Kentucky in despite all the talent they have, despite the ceiling you think they may have, and the fact that they do have some good wins when you look at the win over Florida. I just think you can't put them in at this point. I think you have to leave them out. Yeah, and you, you mentioned all that talent. Uh, John Calipari will never be devoid of talent on his team. He's uh, probably the best recruiter in all of college basketball. Uh, Jeremy, when you look uh, – well, first of all, Jeremy, are you there? I know you had to step out for a little bit. Are you? Have you gotten back yet? I am here. All right, good to hear. Uh, looking at the SEC, you know, we talk about Nerland's Noel, and I'll, I'll give you a chance to talk about his draft status after this, but are there any other guys in the SEC, maybe his replacement, Willie Colley-Stein, who's being talked about as a lottery pick, that, uh, that are catching your eye? I actually just wanted to follow on Kentucky for a second. Um, Go ahead. There could have been a potential for them to get in up until about an hour ago when Ole Miss won the yeah. SEC tournament. It seems like um, if they if Kentucky was going to make it, Ole Miss would be the team that they would sort of make it over. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that Ole Miss has the automatic bid, um, one of those at-large spots is um, up for grabs. Or you know, or, or, or sorry, it's, it's not has disappeared. Grade. Florida now has that uh, that at large bid. Um, yeah. So in that sense, that that really hurts Kentucky's chances. I'm not even sure they would have made it before that. Um, just mm-hmm. because Ole Miss making the the title game um, sort of cemented them. Um, but I would uh, now I would say that they're definitely going to be out just because um, you know Florida is taking up that that at large bid. Um, in terms of draft guys from the SEC, um, obviously Noel is the best player in the conference in terms of uh, the draft prospects. Um, a lot of places still have him projected as the number one pick, even with the ACL injury. Um, I think it's going to come down to um, actually which team ends up with the number one pick. If it's a team that's looking for a shot blocker like Cleveland or Phoenix, um they'll probably pick Noel. If it's a team like New Orleans that already has Anthony Davis, um, mm-hmm. they'll probably go in a different direction. Um, but in terms of other guys in the conference, um, Alex Poitras um, is a really good combo forward. He could um, he could be a difference maker in the league. Um, you know, Patrick Young, who uh, Julie just talked about, he's projected to be around a first-round pick. He's got a lot of size. He can move people around inside. Um, so it, it's pretty deep in terms of NBA draft prospects, um, but obviously Noel is, is the class of the, of the conference. Okay, and, you know, you mentioned Ole Miss, you know, kind of taking that bid, stealing that bid from uh, Kentucky. Uh, Kel, do, do you really think that's the case? Is that kind of what knocked the Wildcats out or at least totally knocked them out? Uh, yeah, I, I really agree with Jeremy because when you look at the fact that uh, Kentucky hammered Ole Miss in Oxford, too, that's another thing that the committee could have taken a look at if you're going to make uh, the case between those two, um, even though the committee's probably out to Applebee's by now. But uh, you look <laughs> at uh, Ole Miss, I think uh, the worst conference record than Kentucky. If you're going to make that call, I think Kentucky maybe would have gotten in. Okay, okay. You know, the SEC, we said it was going to kind of come down to the wire. Florida and Missouri looked like they kind of locked things up. Ole Miss, you know, up until their uh, tournament run was on the bubble. Kentucky was on the bubble. 
you know, Tennessee made a nice late run to kind of get themselves on the bubble. Alabama tried to stay on the bubble for a little while, and they were a little bit inconsistent. The SEC was very, very interesting this year. But looking at the three teams that are in the field, and again, probably only going to be three teams in the field, outside of Florida, do, you know, Kel, do you think any of those teams, those other two teams, Mississippi uh, and Missouri, can they uh, make some noise? Uh, Joe, I really don't think so. I mean, I think Missouri Missouri is really disappointing as well, especially when you look at what they've done down the stretch, losing to Tennessee and then losing to Ole Miss uh, in the first round of the SEC tournament. Actually, I think it was in the second round. I think they beat it. Uh, they uh, defeated Texas A&M in the first round. But I really just don't like them. I just I think they're too inconsistent this year. Uh, they do have some big wins, but again, some puzzling losses. Um, so mm-hmm. I really just there's, there's no one else in the league right now that I think can make a run unless Marshall Henderson and the Rebels can continue the run that they've been on uh, in this mm-hmm. SEC tournament and maybe maybe make a second-round appearance, maybe get to the Sweet 16, but that's pretty much it. Okay, and uh, Jeremy, I know you had something else you wanted to add about Florida. What was that? Yeah, um, you know, Julie sort of touched on this in terms of uh, their the disparity between um, close games and blowouts that they have. Uh, if you look at uh, the metric SRS, simple rating system, it combines strength of schedule and uh, scoring margin. They're actually second best in the country behind Indiana. Um, so if you want to look at, um, you know, their blowout win against Wisconsin, blowout win against Marquette, blew out Kentucky once, obviously they lost to them once, um, blew out Ole Miss earlier in the season, blew out Missouri earlier in the season, um, so, you know, of late, they've sort of stumbled. They lost. They had a bad loss to Kentucky, loss to Ole Miss, uh, bad loss at Tennessee. Um, but if you look at the totality of their schedule, they have a lot of big wins against, and not big in terms of beating a good team. I mean, they yeah. won by a lot against a good team. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to look at that, um, they definitely have that Final Four potential that we talked about Um mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if they slip all the way down to a four seed, that's going to hurt them. But if they if they can hold steady at the three seed, um, or even you know, in some fluke occurrence, get a number two seed, that's definitely a team that you could look at um, to be a Final Four team. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think when Florida turns it on, and like you said, you you mentioned that uh, the big disparity between being a three seed and a four seed, you want to avoid that four seed, five seed line like the plague because you got to face that number one seed. Uh, in the Sweet 16, so it makes it very tough to advance. But between being a two-seed and a three-seed, you're going to face a pretty darn good team in that round either way. But, uh, you know, you want to be on that line, not on the 4-5 line, where you, so you don't have to face an Indiana uh, in the first, or in the uh, Sweet 16. Uh, Florida, again, you know, we're, we talked about them a lot. They're an interesting team to talk about. But one thing that I will say for the Gators is they always seem to get pretty favorable draws. And, uh, you know, obviously we won't know until the selection show tonight but uh, if it if the current trend holds up, I could conceivably see the Gators making a Final Four run, even though they've been a little bit inconsistent. Uh, let's move on and take a look at, you know, we'll get to the Pac-12 with our uh, next guest. But let's talk about some of those other mid-major teams we didn't get to touch on, because maybe they're from a one-bid league or, or, or something along those lines. Uh, you mentioned Middle Tennessee State earlier, Kells. Uh, they look like a lock, but they had that shocking loss to uh, Florida International that bounced them from the Sun Belt Tournament. 
you know, you got teams like St. Mary's. You got a team like Southern Miss out of Conference USA that couldn't pick up the big win over Memphis despite double overtime in their tournament. Out of those three teams, you know, Middle Tennessee State, St. Mary's, and Southern Miss, do you see uh, any of them getting in, all of them getting in, none of them getting in? What, what do you kind of see for them, Kels? Uh, you know, I think I think two out of the three are going to get in, and I think it's going to be St. Mary's and Middle Tennessee State. Um, I think mm-hmm. Middle Tennessee State, because of the fact that their RPI is pretty good, um, they played a tougher schedule. They have that win over Ole Miss. Uh, they've also beaten Vanderbilt by uh, the SEC, which is not, you know, obviously not, not a great win, but still a uh, Power Six conference team. Um, and they went 19- <laughs> yeah, I mean, they went 19-1 and <laughs> in the league. Uh, you know, 28-5 overall. Um, so, you know, I, I think Middle Tennessee State probably deserves to get in. I always like to see those small teams uh, from those conferences that won their league that are on winning streaks, especially when you get into the tournament because they could be dangerous. And you look at a Middle Tennessee State, I would love to see them. If they do make it into the field, I think it's going to be in that first four. But I'd love to see them get into that first four line. I think St. Mary's is going to make it in, too. They won 27 games. Uh, didn't play anybody, but they won 27 games. <laughs> uh, you know, 14-2 and two in that conference. The only teams they lost to were uh, – the only times they lost in that conference was to Gonzaga – so that means they took care of business in every other game, uh, survived that uh, loss to San Diego in the uh, semifinals. If they had lost that game, they would have been out, I think. But they probably sneak in maybe as a 12 seed. Um, I think Southern Miss probably, you know, needed to win that game against Memphis, double overtime. It was a heartbreaker. But I do think that they're probably going to be on the outside looking in because I just don't think the Conference USA uh, has the competition this year. And I think he's got to beat – uh, at least someone, when you take a look at Southern Miss yeah. in that league, they only went 12-4 and four overall, so I don't think they have enough to get in. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you with what I think is going to happen. I, I see St. Mary's and I think Middle Tennessee State are going to get in, and Southern Miss is kind of going to get uh, going to be on the last, on the cutting room floor on that last cut. Uh, to me, Middle Tennessee State, I mean, they went 19-1 and one in the league. I know the Sun Belt isn't a power conference, but that's still pretty darn impressive. Uh, also, you look at their RPI, they're in the top 30. I think they're 28th or 29th, which is better than St. Mary's, who comes from a stronger league, which is pretty tough to do when your strength of schedule isn't that great. Uh, I look at Southern Miss, you know, like St. Mary's, they're in the 30s for RPI, but they've played a tougher schedule than St. Mary's overall, their strength of schedule, uh, and they made it to that Conference USA tournament final and, and took Memphis to the wire. And, you know, if I was picking it, again, I think St. Mary's gets in. If I was taking it, I'm taking the team with a stronger strength of schedule, playing in a weaker conference. That means they schedule a much tougher non-conference schedule, and they took a great team like Memphis. Well, we'll get to Memphis whether they're great or not, but a very good tournament team like Memphis uh, to double overtime, and we're really, you know, they had a couple chances to win that game. If it was me, I'm putting them in, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, Jeremy, let's talk about some of the mid-major guys we didn't get to discuss before. Uh, the Patriot League, shockingly enough, has some has some great talent this year. And uh, with Bucknell going to the tournament, we'll at least get to see one of those guys. Uh, and obviously, Memphis and Gonzaga always has always both of them always have great players. Uh, who are some of the mid major guys that you're going to be keeping an eye on? Um, well, Mike Mescala from Bucknell um, is uh, he, he's a he's kind of a goofy player. He's got a lot of size, um, and he's a great rebounder but he doesn't have the athleticism that you want in an NBA big man. Um, But just the fact that he's so big um, and he positions so well on the glass, like he averages 8.3 defensive rebounds a game, which 
you know, that would that would be a pretty good total number in college. Um, but, you know, just on the defensive glass, and he's pretty good on the offensive glass also. The other thing that gives him a pretty big leg up is that he's a really good free-throw shooter. He shoots 78% from the line, and he draws a lot of fouls. Um, so he doesn't have, you know, that explosive athleticism to go dunk on someone. Um, but what he does is, you know, he's got good post moves to get people in the air, draw the foul, get to the line, score that way. Um, so he's a pretty efficient scorer. Um, and the other guy that's that's sort of like that, although he's from a he's from a top team, is Kelly Olenek from Gonzaga. Um, you know, pretty similar. He's got a lot of size, draws fouls, um, shoots really well from the line. He's not as well as good of a rebounder as Muscala is, um, but he definitely projects as potentially a lottery pick. Um, and the other thing is he projects as to be the best uh, NBA player ever with three Ys in his name, which can wow. be the positive. So that's. That's something to shoot for. Uh, Kels, I'll go to you on uh, Olenek. You know, Gonzaga, they're kind of going to be that, you know, that one seed that most people are saying, like, oh, they're going to be a one seed, but, eh, you know, it's like we're giving them this one seed as a as a gift. Uh, you know, how good is he and how good is Gonzaga? Yeah, I mean, they really haven't. We really don't know at this point, Joe. I think they really haven't played anyone when you look at their – I know non-conference, they played Illinois. They beat teams like Kansas State, but – uh, to be a number one seed, I mean, it's a little tough for me right now. I know, obviously, 30-2, and two, uh, their numbers probably, you know, dictate the fact that they are going to get that one seed. But as far as the Final Four team, I don't know about Gonzaga. You know, I, I do like Olenek. I think uh, he's a quality big man. I think he's uh, one of the best big men in the country. I think you put him on any other team in the country and he'd contribute. Um, but the rest of those guys, you know, David Stockton, are we really sold on him? Kevin Tangos, I mean... Gary Bell. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys who you really think in a big spot in a big game against a big-time team that can come through. And I'm not really sure if Gonzaga can get to the Final Four. Oh, come on. You're not going to bet against a Stockton, are you? I am going to bet against a Stockton. Uh, <laughs> unless it's John. You know, John's the only one I'm going with. But <laughs> Well, if they had Carl Malone's son on that team, they'd be unstoppable. Uh uh, I, you know, I want to go back to you, Jeremy, real quick. And, and you know, we talk about uh, the big man from Gonzaga. I, I'd like to get a little comparison between him and uh, Cody Zeller because they're both looking like lottery picks. They're both big men. They're both pretty skilled. Who would you take at this point uh, if you were just building a team from scratch, not talking about positional need or anything like that? Um, I, I, I just think you have to take Zeller just because he's more skilled. Um, in terms of his all-around game, uh, Olenek, um he he shoots a ridiculous percentage from the floor. Um, mm-hmm. He's got really nice touch around the basket, um, but Zeller just has a better floor game in terms of um, you know being able to stand at the elbow and then you know actually put the ball on the floor and get to the rim that sort of stuff. Whereas you know Olenek mm-hmm. really needs people to set him up in terms of. Mm-hmm how to get his points, where Zeller is much better at creating his own shot, and Zeller is also uh, he's the better rebounder, and he's better defensively, he moves his feet better uh, he's a better shot blocker so it, it, like, I really think Olenek's going to be a good NBA player, he's going to be at the very worst, um, a rotation big man, a lot like Tyler Zeller is right now mm-hmm. um, but in terms of you know projecting three, four, five years down the line Zeller just has a higher ceiling uh, whereas Olenek is Already sort of closely. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, staying with this mid-major team, another team that 
you know, a lot of people are accusing them of just not playing anybody uh, is the Memphis Tigers. You know, the Memphis Tigers have torn through Conference USA uh, until that double overtime game last week or uh, this weekend, I guess. Uh, so their schedule's been a little bit of a cakewalk, but they obviously have some talent. Uh, Kels, how big of a threat is Memphis to go deep in the tournament? Right, and uh, you might be interested to know, Joe, that uh, this was actually one of the top recruiting classes in the country when you take a yeah. look at uh, Joe Jackson, uh, Chris Crawford, and those guys uh, with, um, I think it was it's either Will Barton or Antonio Barton. I always get them confused. I think it's Will <laughs> on the Trailblazers. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they've, they've got some great talent. Um, they've got the players that can make a run. It's just one of those teams that just doesn't seem to have put it all together against uh, quality of competition. And, uh, you know, obviously going 16-0, and 19-0 uh, really when you talk about the conference tournament against Conference USA, uh, a lot of cakewalks, as you said. But I think this team is talented enough to make a run. Um, it's going to depend. It's, I'm going to be really interested to see what seed they get. I think if they get – you know, a four seed or a five seed, I think they're going to have a chance maybe to uh, make a run. They're going to have a tough opponent in that first round. But, you know, it's going to depend on matchups, and I think they have the talent to maybe make a run into the Sweet 16. I just don't think they play, they play well enough together to make a run deeper than that, though. Okay, fair enough. You know, Memphis is going to be a team that I don't know what I'm going to do with them uh, on my bracket. It's going to depend on matchups, but, you know, you can pretty much say that about anybody. But they're uh, such a fun team to watch, too, if you ever get a chance to check out the Memphis Tigers. But like you said, can they put it all together against a quality opponent? And especially when the game slows down a little bit uh, in the NCAA tournament, it's going to be very, very interesting to see. Uh, we have our next guest on the line, David Lombardi. David, can you hear me? Yes, not. <laughs> All right, we'll wait till we pass David hear you through. All right, David Lombardi. Uh, David Lombardi is a Stanford football insider, works for Fox Sports, the bootleg, scout.com. And, David, who don't you work for out in San Francisco? Uh, that's a tough question, man. I, uh, <laughs> I I do my best to get around, but um, you know how it goes. You just got to grind. Exactly. Hey, I hear you. I hear you. So we've got David Lombardi. He's going to talk a little, uh, a little Pac-12 with us. And, David, the first question is, obviously the Pac-12 has been kind of labeled as a down league and, and not that great this year. You know, how many teams do you see getting in, and, and do you think there are any teams in the conference that can make a legitimate run at, you know, an Elite Eight or a Final Four? Uh, I really don't have much faith in, in Pac-12 basketball. <laughs> and, you, you know, it's it's one of those things where you guys coming from the East Coast probably see it as a few down years, and that's exactly what's happened. So I – I mean, last year, it's not going to be as bad as last year where you only had Colorado and Cal go to the tournament. I mean, the last year was, was, was horrible for the Pac-12. But this year, I think you're going to see five teams make it. I think that maybe if, if worse comes to worst, then Cal won't make it because they really choked at the end of the year against Stanford and then obviously in the tournament against Utah. So maybe four in a worst-case scenario. But at least four teams, probably five. And then as far as asking a team – uh, to make a run deep into the tournament. I think UCLA has to to save Ben Howland's job, um, but I don't know if they can do it now without Jordan Adams. And I think that Arizona is also a really flawed team that beat a, a few good teams like Miami in December, but they're 1-8 and eight now against uh, the teams that are in the tournament field over the past 10 weeks, and that's just not going to cut it. So I'm, I'm really not sure uh, how much of a threat the Pac-12 can make without a, a lot of luck in this tournament. Yeah, that's a very interesting point you just made about Arizona because, like UCLA, they're very, very talented. They've got some good young guys. Uh, when you look at the Bruins and a guy like 
Shabazz Muhammad, you know, is he, you know, he's a freshman, but he's obviously uber, uber talented. Is he a guy that could, like you said, save Ben Howland's job and get the Bruins to, you know, a little past the Sweet 16? Well, I mean, if he plays, you know, even better than he normally plays, which he's capable of, we've seen him go off in a few games this year, if he can maintain that kind of hot stretch, then, yeah, we've seen one player carry a team into the Sweet 16. We've seen one player carry a team even into the, the Elite Eight. But I think with UCLA, they really just got killed by that injury to Jordan Adams, who was yeah. one of their fine young players. He was their leader in steals and, you know, how important defense is at this point of the year. He was also their second-leading scorer. So you, you saw it immediately in the loss to Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament, how that affected them. So I'm really concerned about UCLA moving forward just because this is a team that obviously over the past few years has not been what it used to be when it went to those uh, consecutive final fours under Ben Howland. So losing players at this point of the year forces you to scramble, forces you to do a lot of things that you're not used to, and I I just wouldn't put my money on UCLA. (laughs) All right, we won't ask you to put your money on UCLA. Uh, The other team I want to talk about is, is a team that hasn't really turned a lot of heads nationally in you know, like you say, us East Coasters, we don't pay nearly enough attention to you guys with your West Coast bias out there. Which, by the way, i got to tell you, I'm surprised your Twitter handle is not called West Coast Bias. Have you ever thought of that? Uh, well, I wanted to promote myself first. Uh, I, I, I guess uh, <laughs> that's going to be the that, – that may be a good way to, to attract some people because everybody here is always upset about the East Coast bias. You know me. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, but uh, – the only team I'm talking about is Oregon. You know, the Ducks, they haven't turned their heads nationally, like I said. They've had a more than solid season. Uh, what do you make of Oregon, and, you know, where do you see them fitting into this tournament? Well, I love Oregon because I think that they're built to, to have sustained success. Now, I don't know, you know, they could run into a hot shooting team and then everything goes down the drain. But when you look at Oregon, six players averaging at least 9.7 points per game. So virtually six players in double figures, which is awesome. I mean, you don't see that too often. You don't see it at all in the Pac-12, actually, outside of Oregon. And that's why they won this tournament without really wowing anybody. That's why they snuck up on everybody, because they're very balanced. They can actually withstand an injury, because you saw Dominic Artis uh, go out earlier this year. He was out uh, for over a month. But uh, because they have other guys that are scoring in double figures, they have other guys who play defense. They're near the top of the conference rankings in defense. They're a very sustainable formula for success. So that's how Oregon's been winning. That's how they took home the crown this year. And if they could continue to, you know, just distribute those points, they're they're not going to be vulnerable to a major upset in the tournament. But at the same time, they're not as explosive also as a team that has a guy that can go up for 40 at any, at any given time. So you know what you're going to get with Oregon. Okay. And kind of on the other end of Oregon is a team like Cal. They've got some nice wins but some head-scratching losses. Do you see Cal making the tournament, or, uh, you know, is, is this team NIT bound? Well, Cal is the team that's, you know, sitting on pins and needles today because of the way that they really coughed it up at the end of the year. They had that seven-game win streak, and it looked like they were actually going to go into this selection Sunday looking great. I mean, it, it, this is keep in mind, this is a Cal team that at the start of the year, things were going so poorly for them that they, when they beat Oregon at home, and this was before, you know, Oregon had really turned on the Jets, Cal rushed four at home after being beating an Oregon team over which they were favored. So again, Cal was like two-point favorites, and they rushed the floor there because they were so happy that they had finally gotten the win because they were struggling so mightily. So I mean, the fact that Cal is even in the tournament question right now actually is a miracle compared to where they were about a month and a half ago. However, compared to where they were two weeks ago, they shouldn't be on the bubble anymore because after they ripped off those seven straight wins – 
it should have been a foregone conclusion. They should have been in. Yeah. However, they, they blew it. They they got into that brawl with Stanford at home. They lost by 20 against a very inconsistent Stanford team, and then they uh, lost to Utah in the tournament. So now Cal is right back where they were before, you know, in, in a spot where they're going to be really uncomfortable as far as the tournament goes. But I think that they'll probably make it because the bubble doesn't seem to be too strong this year. However, it's 60-40. I, I put it at 60-40. It's a little too close for comfort. Okay, and certainly Cal it, it doesn't like those odds, even though, you know, a little better than 50-50, like you said. Um, lastly, uh, you know, I just want to talk about the Pac-12 as a whole. You mentioned it earlier that you don't have much confidence in this conference. I mean, this is a conference with national powers like UCLA and Arizona and, and schools that should be able to attract talent from, you know, great high school bas- a great high school basketball state like California. Arizona plays some good high school basketball, as does Washington. You know, Washington's another program that historically is very good. Why is the Pac-12 seemingly down the past couple of years? Well, it's really been down since – it's not only a couple of years anymore. We're, we're what, in 2013? Remember when the Pac-12, I, I think, was at its very peak was in 2008 when there was – I even forget how many guys went to the NBA, but it was over 10 guys in one year went right to the NBA as, you know, very, very valuable draft picks. And that was the year where – I mean, the Lopez twins for Stanford, Kevin Love, all those guys for UCLA, Arizona was good. Every single team was was dangerous in, in some way. Even Washington State was playing amazing basketball. They were ranked in the top ten for a long time, and those days seem a long ways away now. So the conference, after its bubble really popped, after that 2008 mm-hmm. season, when all of that talent left to the NBA, and ever since then it's really been reeling. It hasn't been able to find its footing, and – uh, I don't know what it is. I think maybe that, that one year, the next year, was so down that it hurt recruiting for the next cycle, for the next three or four years. And now I think we're finally starting to see the conference, the you know, figure it out. The, you looked at mm-hmm. last year. That was rock bottom for the conference. Well, this year, all the coaches returned. It was the first time in a long time that all 12 coaches in the Pac-12 were back. And now you're going to have probably five teams make the tournament. So it's a lot better than – than what we saw last year with Colorado, the automatic champion. The, the regular season champion last year, Washington, didn't even make the tournament. That's how bad things were. So things are a lot better, a lot better this season. All right, David, telling it like it is from the West Coast. Thanks so much for joining us, David. All right, thanks a lot, Joe. All right, we'll talk to you later. Um, okay, Kels, I want to get you to jump in here on the Pac-12. Uh, you know, he mentioned a couple teams. He thinks he has four, probably five teams getting in. Uh, who do you see getting in from the Pac-12? Yeah, well, I think obviously you got to start with UCLA and Arizona, uh, Oregon, obviously. Um, Cal, like he said, is right there on that line. I think they probably will get in. I completely agree with him. I think it's about 60-40. Um, I think that's it, Joe. I think Colorado maybe has a shot. Uh, when you look at them, they've got some good wins. They turned it on. They've got some talent when you look at Andre Roberson and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, but I think that's going to be it. I think Arizona State had a chance to get in if they had beaten uh, UCLA in the tournament, just lost in a very close game in that one. I think that's it out of the Pac-12, though. Yeah, you mentioned that loss to UCLA. They led by as many as 15 in that game, so the Sun Devils really shot themselves in the foot. Uh, You don't have Colorado in. I think they're, you know, like Cal, they're going to be sweating it out a little bit. They're going to be interesting. Uh, Jeremy, with all this hype about we talked about Shabazz Muhammad, uh, I know you've gotten to see him play a little bit. How good can this guy be? And, you know, has he lived up to the hype? He was considered by many to be the top high school player in the country last year. Just uh, where do you see him ending up? The poor Muhammad is um, 
he's suffering from the same question that Tyreek Evans had, I guess you could compare him to, in that I'm not completely sure what position he's going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like, he's a prototypical shooting guard, but he needs the ball in his hands a lot more than a normal shooting guard does. Um, and I, I guess Evan Turner sort of has the same, the same problem in that in order for them to be very, really successful, you need to build your entire offense around them. They need to have the ball. They need to be running pick and roll. They need to attack the rim. They need to be getting the majority of the shots. But mm-hmm. if those types of players are the centerpiece of your offense, you're probably not going to have a very good offense just because they don't have the dynamic ability that someone like Dwayne Wade or Kobe or Russell Westbrook do. So in that sense, um, I'm not sure how well he's going to translate because he just doesn't have that level of um, – the, the all-around abilities those guys have. He's a very good shooter, which is promising. He's a better shooter than all those guys that I just mentioned. Um, but he doesn't um, he doesn't attack the rim with the same, you know, just visceral explosiveness that you see out of guys like Rose and Webb um, and Wade that can really carry an offense. Um, so if he can adapt his game to become more of a spot-up shooter. Um, and use that athleticism that he does have. He's a, he's pretty athletic. Um, mm-hmm. but he's, he needs to use that more to like attack closeouts and you know only drive when he has a really clear seam as he's trying to create something out of nothing because that's when he gets in trouble. Um, okay. He's a pretty good rebounder, but he's not a very good passer, which is kind of disconcerting. Uh, but if he can adapt his game to real strength. Hey, Jeremy, I think we lost you for a second. You there? Jeremy? Yeah, did I lose you? Oh, okay. I think we lost you for like a second. But but I just wanted to ask you one more thing. Is he the kind of player that can elevate his game enough to, you know, have maybe make a little bit of a surprise run with UCLA? In the tournament, he absolutely can. He definitely has that feeling of being a guy that can win – you know, just the way the tournament's set up, it's two games in three days. He could absolutely go in that run where he wins both of those games in that weekend single-handedly, and maybe even the second weekend and gets them, you know, into the Elite Eight. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, you know, once they once you start to run into the Indianas or the Miamis or, you know, those teams that are going to be on that one and two line where, mm-hmm. you know, they can really – they have the athletes on the wings that can shut them down. Uh, they have the team defense that can, you know, maneuver themselves to take away his strengths. That's when, you know, that's that's probably going to be the end of the line for UCLA. But, you mm-hmm. know, if he really goes on a run, you know, and he makes a lot of his, his threes, which he's been doing lately, um, you know, he could push the Sweet 16 Elite Eight to that level. Okay. Okay. Kels, do you see anybody out of the Pac-12 that, that can make a legit run, or are, you, uh, are they kind of in your doghouse like they are for Jeremy? Or not for Jeremy, for David. I'm with Jeremy. I think UCLA can make a run. And I also like Oregon, uh, as David said. I think they got obviously made the run in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, they caught fire earlier in the season, and they've really shown the ability. If uh, they can win, you know, two, three games in a row, get through a couple weekends, maybe get to the Sweet 16. Um, so I think those two teams. Arizona would be a team that I would say uh, could make a run, but I just don't like the way they played 
down the stretch in the season and uh, just don't know who their go-to guy is. I know Mark Lyons uh, is one of the their leading scorer and one of the better players in the Pac-12, but I'm just not sure if they have enough to make a run into the Sweet 16. So UCLA and Oregon, I think those are the two teams that can make a run. Yeah, and they're they're very different teams as well, as uh, David Lombardi, our, our guest, was pointing out, that Oregon is kind of built to win as a team, and, and UCLA you know, has a few guys that really stand out, and they're obviously suffering from an injury. Uh, okay, guys, bold prediction time and uh, prognostications and whatnot. Uh, pretty straight-up stuff. We'll start with you, Jeremy. Who are your number one seeds and your number two seeds? Um, so, you know, Miami was getting some talk as a potential number one seed after Duke lost and you know, if they could win the ACC tournament, which they did. But I think um, I think they needed Kansas to lose yesterday in order to get that mm-hmm. number one slot because I think Louisville, Indiana, and Gonzaga are pretty content on that number one line. Um so now that Kansas has that has the the, the conference tournament championship um, on their resume, I think they're going to get that fourth number one seed. Uh, mm-hmm. And then for the number two seeds, um, Ohio State I think is a pretty solid number two. Uh, Miami I would have is a pretty solid number two. Um, Duke I would say is a pretty solid number two. And then that third, the, the fourth one, um, it could have been Florida if they won the SEC tournament, um, but. You know, if if you know, since they, since they lost, um, I think you have to look at maybe even Kansas State jumping up to that two line. Um, you know, possibly Georgetown, um, Michigan State, maybe I don't know. Uh, so that that fourth number two, I think, is the one that's really up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I, 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 if you put a gun to my head, I, I think I would go with Florida just because I think they're the best team in that group. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm no, I'm not very confident in that by any means. <laughs> All right, Kells, uh, who are your number one seeds and your number twos? Yeah, well, I, I really like uh, Louisville as my number one overall seed, Joe. Um going to go with Gonzaga, even though I'm not sure if they deserve to be on that number one line or not. Um, I think Miami, I think Miami's done enough when they win the ACC mm-hmm. Uh, championship today, and they won the regular season. I think they've done enough, and they deserve a number one seed. And also Kansas, with the way they rolled through that Big 12 tournament, uh, as they always do out there, and uh, I think they deserve to be on that number one line as well. They had one bad week, basically, as Bill Self said uh, at the end of the season. They had a great season. They had one bad week where they lost three in a row. (laughs) Um, Two seeds, I think Georgetown, I think obviously winning the Big East regular season, being on the roll that they are, I think they're going to get that two seed. Um, I think Duke is pretty solidly locked into a two seed, and I'd say Indiana and Ohio State. If they win this big uh, Big Ten championship game, I think they'll get a two seed. Um, I, I maybe would like to put Michigan State ahead of them on that line, but I think it's going to end up being the Buckeyes, especially because I think at this point the field is pretty much set. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting is the Big Ten plays their championship game later than everybody else, and the committee has asked them to, you know not do that because, you know, it gets so close to a time where they got to seed things and the Big Ten championship game is still going on and, you know, it's close. It's, what, 37-35, Wisconsin's up, you know, halfway through the second half right now and we don't know where the, you know, if the Buckeyes are going to win, so it really puts the committee in a bind and they almost have to just decide what they think of Ohio State independent of that game and, you know, it's not really fair to Ohio State because a win in that game 
is a pretty significant win if you can win the big, the, you know, the conference tournament from the Big Ten, which has been the best conference in America. Uh, I'm looking at mine. I'm looking. I agree with you. I got Louisville as the number one overall seed. I thought that their second half performance against Syracuse was just so dominant and so impressive. Uh, so I think they're going to Indianapolis. They're going to be in the Midwest bracket. Uh, I've got Kansas and Indiana as my next one seeds. Uh, I agree with you with Miami. They won, you know, the uh, ACC regular season and tournament title. If I was seeding it, I would put them ahead of Gonzaga and bump Gonzaga down the two line. But you just, I just don't think you can do that to the Zags. Unfortunately, you know they have beaten pretty much everybody put in front of them. So I've got to bump Miami down to the two line. They're my top two seed. So my ones are Louisville, Kansas, Indiana, who did you know win the regular season title outright for the best conference in America. And then I've got Gonzaga because I feel like I have to. Um, my two seeds, I've got Miami as my top two seed. Uh, I've got Georgetown with the role that they're on. I think Florida would have been in there had they won today, and it's I don't know if that's fair or not of me, but I've bumped the Gators down for that close loss to Ole Miss. So uh, I'm going Miami, Georgetown, Duke, and I guess regardless of whether they win or not, I'm putting Ohio State in that fourth number two seed with Florida right on the outside looking in, uh, and same for Kansas State. I think those two teams just barely miss it. But but like I was saying earlier, the difference between a two seed and a three seed really, you know, it's a little bit, it's inconsequential really. You know, if you get, if you have to face Florida or Kansas State and you're Ohio State, is it really going to matter to you whether you have a two or a three next to your name? I mean, I I, I don't think so. So uh, we'll move on to one of our last things. The most, probably the most interesting team in the country, we talk seem to talk about them every week. Kels, you mentioned it. What do you think of the Miami Hurricanes at this point? Yeah, I mean, uh, Miami's so talented, as we've said before. Uh, so many good wins, and I think that uh, the fact that their regular season uh, resume speaks to the fact that I think they should get that number one seed. I think they've earned it. Um, and I was just going to say over Indiana, I think that uh, that would be the, the place where I would go because Indiana's got six losses. I know they do play in the uh, toughest, co- toughest con- conference in the country, but still, uh, six losses is a lot for a number one seed. Um, so I think Miami, you know, I think that they're probably they're the, they're the strangest team to predict in this, in this field because I'm not really sure what their ceiling is. I think they could get to a Final Four. They've got that talent. They've got that coach that's already been to the Final Four with George Mason. I uh, would love to play for him. If there's any coach in the country that I'd love to play for, when you listen to his pregame speeches in the locker room, he just makes you want to run through a wall. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing. But I think they've got a little bit of Missouri in them from last year. A little shakiness. They haven't been here before. Uh, could get tight in a first-round situation, and I could see them losing early. It's uh, really tough to pick the Canes. I think uh, if I had to go right now, I'm probably going to say they're going to get upset by somebody because I just don't think they have the experience that other teams have. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, over to you. What do you think of the Hurricanes? Um, you know, you said that Indiana has six losses, but Miami has six losses too. So I'm not sure that, you know, that puts them at the number one line over anybody else. Um, I think Gonzaga is a little bit underrated, so I wouldn't put them over. I wouldn't put them, I wouldn't put Miami over them. Um, in, in terms of, um, in terms of Miami's future in the tournament, um, they're really good defensively, which, um, one of the best defensive teams in the country. Um, so the, obviously that that gives them a ceiling that um, a lot of teams don't have. 
but I think as good as they are defensively, they have a lot of time scoring, uh, especially late in games. So I think that's going to be the, their ultimate demise. I think they're a solid Sweet 16 Elite 8 team. I'm not sure if they're a Final Four team. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Kells, you want to counter on that uh, <laughs> on that six loss comment? Yeah, well, I just want to mention that you know they are the outright champs, and they did win the conference tournament, which is something Indiana hasn't done. Indiana's never won the Big Ten tournament, so I think that would be the tiebreaker for me between Miami and Indiana, even though the Big Ten is much tougher than the ACC. All right, fair enough. And hey, I'm a Boilermaker, so I'm always uh, glad to hear some bad stats about Indiana never winning the Big Ten tournament. Nice. Uh, we'll move on with our last subject. We're going to wrap up, and that is a very simple, straightforward question. Who is going to win it all? Regardless, let's not talk about matchups. Who is the best team in college basketball that without looking at the bracket, you can just say, this is my favorite to win it all. Kells, I'll go to you first. Uh, that's a really tough question, Joe, right now. Uh, so <laughs> many different teams could win it all. I uh, really could say about ten teams right now, but my gut right now, if you put a gun in my head, and uh, told me I'd have to pick the team that's going to win it. I'm going to go with Indiana. Uh, mm-hmm. I think all season long it's just kind of been the year where you figure that they were the best team. They've got so much talent when you look at Victor Oladipo and Cody Zeller. Uh, Jordan Holtz can shoot. They're really a co- such a complete team, even though I don't think they deserve the number one seed over Miami. I do think they're the best team. And if you put a gun in my head right now, I'm going to pick the Hoosiers to win it all because I just think they've got more complete parts than anyone else. And I, I just think moving them further in the bracket, they've got uh, guys who can match up with different styles of play. I just like them over everybody else in this field. All right. Jeremy, who you got? Um, I would probably say Indiana as well, but because I don't want to give the same answer and say all the same things, I'm going to say that Duke <laughs> is a really underrated team. Um, they've actually played a harder schedule than Indiana has just because – uh, if you look at their out-of-conference schedule, they played Minnesota, they played VCU, they played Louisville, beat all of them, beat Ohio State. Um, so th- they've played a really tough schedule. Um, even though the ACC is a bit down this year, their out-of-conference schedule is really strong. Um, and when they've had Ryan Kelly, they've arguably been the best team in the country there. I think they only have, uh, I think, only one loss with Kelly. Is that right? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Exactly sure on the stat, but. Yeah, you know, if he's going to be healthy throughout the tournament, which it looks like he's going to be, they could be the toughest out, and they could be the eventual champion. All right, guys. You know, I like both those teams. I'm sticking with my Georgetown pick from a couple of years or a couple of weeks ago. A couple of years ago. What am I saying? Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Really love Otto Porter. I love them defensively. I really think they lock people down and keep themselves in every single game. They don't need to really shoot well to win. And you know, I would have gone Indiana. But Jordan Holtz just hasn't been shooting that well. Watford's been a little shaky. And when they've matched up with some pretty tough defensive teams like Wisconsin, they've been, you know, they've gotten slowed down. And they're a team that needs to hit shots, I think, to win, as athletic as Oladipo is and as skilled as Zeller is. They still need to be making those outside shots to you know, open those things up for them. I think Georgetown wins with defense. Well, they keep it close with defense, and then Otto Porter closes you out. I like that combination. I think they're going to be able to lock down teams and just defend their way into the Sweet 16. And then from there, I'm trusting my man Otto to uh, turn it on in winning time. And uh, they've got some other nice players. You look at Devontae Smith-Rivera as a good, as a nice well point guard, young guy. So, uh, you know, is Georgetown the most complete team in the country? No, I, I agree with Kells. I think Indiana is the most complete team in the country. But I could see the Hoyas getting on a magical run here and, and riding the guy who I think is the national player of the year. 
uh, to an NCAA tournament win. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to our two-hour selection Sunday special of Taking You to School. Once again, I am Joe Perello with Kells Dayton of Round Ball Daily and Jeremy Connellan, also of SweetSports.com. Once again, thanks for watching, and enjoy the selection show, everyone. Happy March Madness. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.